0: Yeah.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Matty. How's everybody doing out there? They're doing good, I hope. You know what I mean? Matt and Mel, how are you doing over there?
0: I'm doing almost through the first month of the first of the new year. So,
1: oh, we're, today we got, we got a fabulous guest who will be popping on the show in a little bit. Um, Super
0: excited! I'm about to, I'm trying to get all my fangirl emotions out right now.
1: Yep, yeah, he's the leader Do of the pack, one. leader of the pack, leader of the squad, if you will. You know what I mean? You know what? Do know what
0: squad like, that monster squad. The monster. We talking about Sean from
1: the Monster Squad? Andre Gower.
0: There you go. None my friends.
1: To go get her. <laughs> So yeah, Sean and the Monster Squad. Every you know, everybody, all horror fans. You know, just about all of them. I'd say the majority of them got that special place. I can never speak for all. As one, they get very unhappy. They're not the Three Musketeers.
0: Horror yeah, this fan. movie. This movie was just great. You know, especially now the fact that it's like a cult classic, just because of the fact that it doesn't matter what age you are. You know, from young to old you can watch this movie because it's not like over the top there's not you know any like there's not a lot of violence It's even though what is it like a PG rating you know it's, yeah. it's very kid friendly so like this is like one of the first quote unquote horror movies that I remember seeing growing up where I didn't need to watch with mom and dad
1: <laughs> it was very Steven Spielbergy, you know what I mean like E.T. the way E.T. deals with aliens and stuff. This this is how this dealt with monsters.
0: Yeah, it kind of, and it has its moments where it tugs on the heartstrings.
1: You gotta, sure it does. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Alexander the Hawk, in Romania, as we speak. Uh, the only sign of life is a casual Instagram posts. That's how anybody knows Alex alive over there.
0: Yep, just had to uh, check on him, make sure he's still doing all right.
1: Yeah, uh, co co-host of the BoomBasta Cast. I know that we talked We talked about the Monster Squad on there, I think last year, last season, if you will. And um, there's a point where, uh, when they're talking about, he has the tattoo, and they're talking about monsters, and the, the older guy shows him the tattoo. Alex always gets emotional. Creepy,
0: creepy German guy?
1: Creepy German guy. And he says, you know, <laughs> the monsters aren't the people you got to worry about. Uh, type yeah. you know, it's the humans, you know. Exactly. You, know, almost, you got a little John Wayne Gacy <laughs> in there. It gets you
0: a little emotional because, you know, the entire neighborhood, you know, neighborhood is dead ass scared of this poor man. And, you know, he just keeps to himself, minds his business and, you know, everybody's scared.
1: Alex cries over paint not drying quick enough or drying too dark. Um, Too dark. Just that poor paint and get that dark life, living that dark life. (laughs) Um, But. Yeah, it is very touching. It's that, that episode's really touching too. I forget which episode it's in. It's not called the Monster Squad or anything. But um we do talk about it. Um, and it was brought up because of like the powerful of the powerfulness of uh you know race. You're not expecting to get hit with that wallop of a that wallop of an emotion during like a kid horror movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. movie. But everybody, you know, is gigantic gigantically influenced by
0: And and with everything, it was like, the way that the kids stuck together, the the camaraderie between them all, you know, throughout the entire film. Yes. It was just good to see.
1: It's true. I always like seeing it. So, folks, without any further ado, we're going to bring our boy up in here. Hello.
2: Hello.
0: Good Hello. evening or afternoon, depending on where you are located. Yeah,
2: where are we? where are we? I don't know where I'm at. I don't we're, on I the,
0: we're, we're on the east coast, so it's like seven thirty over bad. here. Yeah,
2: yeah it's uh, four thirty my time. I'm currently in Las Vegas. Well, there you go. How do
1: you like that? Sorry, how do you like that? It's
2: good. It's good. Yeah. It's, uh... how's the
0: how's the COVID scenario treating you out there?
2: You know, it's, uh, I think it's a lot better because, you know, I live in LA and in um, April when things started, you know, we, this is, we, we realized this was going to be a thing. Uh, I, I I thought about it and my wife and I put our heads together and we're like, you know what, let's not be here for this. Exactly. (laughs) And so we were luckily in a a good situation with where we live that we just, we made the decision and like. At the end of that month, we just left and because uh, we have I have family, and we have houses here in Vegas and uh, it was just a no brainer. So, you know, why live in an expensive place when you're not working like you're supposed to, because I had 12 months of, you know, at least six to eight months of events and work and stuff that was just deleted. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not the only one. Everybody did. But, Everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I saw that coming ahead of time. And when I knew it was sort of definite, we were like, this is the right call. So we've been in Vegas since March and I've got one of my best friends that still live in Vegas and we just, you know, pal around all the time. Everything's open here. um, <clears throat> And it's not as bad as a situation. And, you know, we get to keep an eye on my mom and stuff like that. So it was, uh, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Yeah, it works out well for everybody. Everybody gets to kinda
2: stay connected
0: even though you're not constantly together.
2: Yeah, if it's gonna suck, you might as well maximize the suck.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Be near people that you can be near people you can tolerate being around.
2: Well, wait a minute. (laughs) minute. Don't go too (laughs) far there. Exactly.
3: So when- I, I,
0: I have this thing of no filter. So, yeah, like I've kind of That's been okay. preparing for COVID my whole life. <laughs>
2: <Right>. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I love my sister and I love my mom. But good God, I don't love my sister and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> <When they're laughs> yeah, family, it's, always,
0: it's always a family thing, you know, after a while. Oh, start, it, it's inevitable that you'll start getting on each other's nerves at some point.
2: And, and my wife. So I've got the, the only three people in the world who are super supportive, but also the only three points of stress or frustration in my entire existence or we're all in well, the same spot. <laughs> 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 I didn't say it.
0: <laughs> I'm a female. I will say it for you. It's like, God bless you because it's, do you have children?
2: Uh, no. <laughs>
0: That's probably a good thing right now then.
2: I think it, look, I'm, I'm not trying to wave my, I told you so banner during COVID, but I told you so.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like um, my sister has a, my sister has a a five-year-old. So, you know, he was supposed to start school this year.
2: Yeah. It's tough. It's
0: been been brutal because she's been trying to like keep him isolated to keep him healthy too, because of. Well, it's not just
2: that. I mean, that's a full-time job and it's, or, you know, at least half you know, consciously in your mind of what to do and what you can't do, but you've also got, you're either at home working or not working and your kids not in school and not socializing. And all my friends that have kids, I mean, it has been tough. I know that absolutely tough. So.
0: Yeah. I get FaceTimed about four or five times a day. Like, can you come (laughs) hang out?
2: (laughs) It's good. Yeah.
1: We have FaceTime and such like that. thing just I mean,
2: imagine this 15 years ago when we, you know, we all you really had was maybe like a, you know, a MySpace Hangout video chat or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. The AOL chat room. AOL chat room. <laughs> yeah.
2: Friendster now video.
0: <laughs> now we are definitely aging ourselves. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Well, I, I think I've already done that there. <laughs> Comes with the territory, tell me, let's, right? uh, oh, let me, let me clear this off my, so it's not blinking, just, oh, shit. Uh, no, now you're good. Oh, wait, there we go. Yeah. Um every time I restart my computer my like Skype wants to restart and change my computer and ask permissions and all that I was like no just go yeah. away I'm not yeah, using. Yeah all you that right. fun stuff I'll <laughs> let you know when I'm using you Mr Skype go away It gets very <laughs> jealous
1: of the Zoom being used That's what <laughs> it is so. I think so I you think know, so You know who took over the world I mean you didn't even hear about Zoom before COVID and then everybody's yeah, there's a new school for crying out loud
2: Yeah Absolutely. And then I think all the other, uh, I mean, I've experienced some cool, you know, grand majority, you know, zoom podcast. I mean, I've, that's all I've done since June is podcasts yeah. uh, as the guest. And I used to do my own podcast, you know, just <laughs> audio only. And I thought that was hard enough, but, um, it's, uh, you know, zoom and I mean, sky great, but, um, you know, like, there's some cool stuff out there now that everybody's able to use and, uh, and, and connect, which I, which I think is rad.
0: So let me know when we're silent. ready to
2: record, like, or whatever you want to we do.
0: Are actually, ready, we are actually, we are actually recording. recording. <laughs> Uh-oh,
2: then delete that stuff about my family.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's in, Like I said, it's inevitable, you know, like, that's just how families work. You, when you spend a lot of time together, you're going to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's,
2: uh, and it depends, when, you know, when you have certain dynamics of different people and whatever, but, and this is a hard time anyway. I mean, I think everybody's going a little bonkers, but... I mean, it's interesting because um, my sister's been busier than she, you know, ever, you know, ever has. Because she's a realtor here in Vegas, and it's been going bonkers and it's nonstop. So that's that didn't shut down. Uh, You know, you have to operate differently. Um, You know, you know, and I know people like in the in the mortgage world and I things like that was just going bonkers, and other people are sitting at home turning the thumbs because the things that they do or work for or companies they've created, they're just still in the water. And yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird year. You know, it's been uh, it's very, uh, but you all got to adjust. And when you look at the grand scheme of it, yes, economically, it's tough. Um, uh, sociologically, you know, socially it's tough, but is it really that bad? It, it could be a lot worse. It yeah. really could be a lot. I'm not discounting COVID as a, as a, as a, as a, as a medical issue. Cause it is. I'm just saying the overall type of thing of where all you're really asked to do is kind of, you know, wash your hands and don't lick on other people for, you know, a while. And you know, I mean, that's, um, this is
0: all kind of how hard is our that? common sense anyways, prior to COVID.
2: I said that at the very beginning when they were teaching people how to wash their hands. And I was like, <laughs>
0: yeah, sing we, happy we need guys. these instructional
2: videos. <laughs> That's it's like honestly, problem. we need an instructional video of what six feet is. I was like, well, come I, on! It's
0: like I work in the healthcare field, and oh. you never ever realize how dumb people are until they get sick, and you have to explain the most basic things to them.
2: Humans, they're they're the they're great. They're interesting.
0: Yeah, very. Yeah, I, I someday I'll learn how to be nice.
2: <laughs> I um I, I've. Yeah, it's tough, right? It's, yeah, um,
0: it's, it's like you feel bad, but at the same time, it's like, come on, cover your mouth, don't sneeze on me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, you know, I always equate it, so it's, you know, it's it's interesting. Of it was really about a hundred and well, where we we're twenty twenty one now, so a hundred and twenty one years ago, which is not that long in the grand scheme of modern
0: civilization. <laughs> the Spanish uh, flu. That
2: they figured out that physicians should wash their hands
0: yeah that's kind and of scary.
2: The, the reason they learned this was in France, where all the leading medical colleges were at the time um and in and in and in london um they had this high, super high infant mortality rate, like newborns were dying like and the and the mothers were dying, and they're like, Why is this happening so much and then somebody correlated the fact that oh Because the physicians that were delivering babies and taking care of patients about five minutes before they were delivering a baby, they were down in the basement in the morgue carving up cadavers and dealing with specimens and dead animals and not washing their hands before they touched other people because they hadn't looked into germs yet. And I'm like, that was a huge paradigm shift in medicine. Right. (laughs) And as soon as they started washing their hands like that. You know, infant mortality rate and delivering mother mortality rate just drop, and Dr- they're like, radically. "Oh, I think there's something here."
0: <laughs> so sad what it takes for people to realize that it's the simple things that will yeah. make something work. So
2: that's our <laughs> that's our weird history lesson of the day, folks, and uh, we'll we'll move on to more fun fun nerdy stuff now. Yes. not
0: <laughs> Definitely more nerdy stuff like. I don't, I don't, I don't know about Matt, but like growing up, Monster Squad, that was like number one on my list. Um, I'm pretty sure my parents absolutely despised the movie because I watched it so much.
2: (laughs) You are. uh, That's not the only time I've heard that. So you're, you're, you're in good company. I think. So
0: let me show you this. Don't mind it's wrinkled because this has been in a a tote in my garage for like two years.
2: Hey. Does that look familiar? Yeah, I have one of those too.
0: That was yeah. like, this is awesome. We're going to have Andre Gower on the show. And I have this shirt sitting in my garage.
2: <laughs> well, you know, my shirt was sitting in the garage and I have the real one. I know. <laughs> so I, that one was sitting in a garage for a long, long time. And it actually just came out and saw the light of day. Um, well, I guess two, two years ago uh, when we were shooting the documentary. And when we were actually shooting interviews and um, I said, you know what? I think this is the, cause everybody had always wanted me to like, travel with it and bring it to conventions and appearance. I'm like, that's not happening. <laughs> it's just like, I, th- this thing has become such a thing that it never was meant to be like, there's no way I'm like traveling with this thing and, <laughs> and, 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 and taking it to a convention or something. Yeah. Uh, cause it would just, it would, it would get up and walk away by itself. Yeah. And, I was just going to um, say, you'd
0: have to worry about it disappearing the entire time. True.
2: Yeah. And it's, uh, I said. I think it's perfect. You know, uh, so I don't know if you've, anybody that's listening or if you guys have actually seen uh, the documentary or not. But um, you know, at the end, I love it. Uh, Wes Caldwell put together a little awesome cut of us bringing out the uh, the shirt and showing our interview people, and they all they all get a kick out of that. So, yeah, I mean, you've got one. It's I I'd love seeing fans with a Stephen King rules shirt, uh, even starting way back in the day. Because who knew? that you know a piece of you know a piece of wardrobe that was really just sort of an aside thing it was never meant to be a thing yeah um you know it was it was it wasn't it wasn't a product placement it wasn't like you know the the nikes or the reeboks or whatever from back to the future or you know the the reeboks from alien it wasn't a specific wardrobe thing like that was it was just a throwaway kind of description in the script of this character and um but what an interesting kind of evolution that it turned into a, a piece of iconography, literally. You know,
1: that's, uh, yeah, that's what's so cool about it is it has that kind of like specialty vibe. Like back when I was a kid in the mall, we had a store called Specialties. We could go in there and you could pick the letters and have things put on a shirt and it was a big deal. And I think yeah. the fact that it has that element to it that's fan-made, I think is why it's so, so it's, you know, half of the reason why it became so big with the vibe and you still see it in pop culture popping up.
2: I was yeah and 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 I lo- I used to love like different companies would make it or vendors would you know crank them out and 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 have them as merch at conventions and stuff and yeah. uh, look there was some like we had a pile of them on you know our table for you know a number of years cuz people just wanted them and they for couldn't sure, get yeah. them and, but I love when people make their own that's my favorite like you were saying like if you even went to specialties yeah. or you got iron-ons for your own place or a screen printing and and you did it on your own because then it's a little messed up, or it's not just right, or it's your yeah. own singular thing, and that's what the original shirt was, and that's what it symbolized as this piece of wardrobe. Because Sean Crenshaw and the gang did not have access to a story you know, like that to go yeah. and no one, you know, no vendor was selling a Stephen King rule shirt in any town USA in nineteen eighty seven. That this was obviously something a kid did on his own. with an iron (laughs) you know which how nerdy is that but it was it was very interesting you know it's like what 12 13 year olds are reading stephen king uh let alone all this other monster lore (laughs) stuff and then saving the world from these monsters but it turned into something so rad it's one of my favorite things about the legacy of monster squad is that is that shirt and that it's transcended its own self and i got a little pushed out of shape not pushed out of shape i was like that's not the correct shirt when i'd see people and they'd make their own, but it was different colors. I was like, well, you did it wrong. You've never seen them. I was like, that's completely wrong, Andre. That's not the point here. They're they're taking something that they love and making it their own. And then I realized that's when it started getting special for everybody and for myself. And uh, now it's even transcendent Stephen King, like other people's names are on the what? shirts. And, uh, and, and spoofing its own self. It's becoming a spoof of a, sp- of a spoof. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's super <laughs> iconic. I could picture it being like the sleeve of like a future Blu-ray or 4K release where there's just a red sleeve that says Stephen King rules on it and you slide it off and it's monster squad. Like people would know right off the get go, that shirt, everybody would know what it was. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And cause it's become so identifiable as a monster squad, you know, symbol. Yeah. Um, now we've had, you know, we've had a lot of people that, you know, have the shirts or whatever. And then, you know, you're at a convention or maybe walking down the street and go, Hey, nice shirt. And they go, Oh yeah, I love Stephen King. And they're like, well, yes, but do you know where the shirt's from? And they're like, yeah, I bought it. Cause I love Stephen King. Yeah.
0: And I'm like, oh, you don't know the movie different. that it's from.
2: <laughs> so every once in a while you run into those people, but then you just educate them and then they're like, Oh, okay. And then some are like, I don't care, but uh, that's cool. Um, but I love <laughs> like, uh, I saw one that, um, I think it was uh, 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 Prince Jackson who has uh, his own podcast uh, called Nightlight, I think. And um, uh, he posted a photo of one that said, uh, Regina King rules. And I was like, yes, she does. So I was <laughs> like, this is really cool. I was like, this is going so far and beyond like, what it even was meant to be that it's even cooler now. But uh, Matthew, you, you know, you were mentioning like it, it's, it's an identifier like a sleeve that, I mean, that's, uh, it's, that's awesome idea.
0: Yeah. And even um,
2: like I, if you're just wearing your shirt you, and you go to a party or you go to lunch and someone sees it, they, it, you instantly connect with someone and I've had dozens and dozens of stories like that. And, um, it's all because of the shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I have a collector's, um, edition of Bubba Hotep and it comes in like this, white like Elvis
3: suit type thing.
0: So I think that would be like super dope if like for like the 40th anniversary release they get like (sighs) release it in a Stephen King t-shirt case, like Matt said. That would be awesome. (laughs) That
2: that would be great. Um who know are we talking about Monster Squad after 40 years? We probably will. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um that's the other interesting thing about this little movie that didn't um Yeah, who knows? I think that's a whole other conversation. It's like, should we be and why would we be talking about Monster Squad 40th anniversary? You know, it didn't usually talk about giant paradigm shifters or Oscar winners or classics or, you know, whatever. Yeah, you can talk about Rebel Without a Cause. You can talk about Star Wars. You should talk about Casablanca and, 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 and things like that you know, easy rider, you know, that were just game changers. Uh, and Monster Squad wasn't a game changer, but yet it was because it really changed the, it didn't change the industry. It changed individuals. Yeah. And, and then, then that spread out. And that was something certainly interesting to learn over the last 10, 12 years. And especially making the documentary, you found so even so much more. Um, Cause that, that whole dynamic was the, the, the reason you know we made a documentary is you know to kind of interrogate why this movie impacted these people and 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 became fans and clutched onto it so so tightly and it wasn 't just like a clutch, it was really something that connected with people and we wanted to look into that and the shirt's a part of that and that dynamic where you see somebody across the room that knows the movie and you instantly become friends and um and 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 then you get to connect with some of the cast members because we 've kind of been out there you know for a while uh, you know a little bit and and having funs so it's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic about this movie and the, and the fan base and longevity and good gosh we're going to talk about 40 years <laughs> Melissa said the 40th anniversary you already want a special like merch product I'm like hey you know what let's do it I'm down someone, someone make that happen and I'll sign it,
0: <laughs> it, it it'll, it'll have to happen you know because I just like introduced my five year old nephew to this movie so you know like he's so into monsters now because you know he comes over and he you know he sees all these monsters like in my room and around my place and he's like he goes to the store and he'll see something and he'll be like mommy we got to get that for Titi. it's a monster so like <laughs> I would think, monsters 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 so i introduced him to monster squad because it's not violent there's not a lot of gore there's no gore <laughs> so it's yeah a really it's a safe it's a safe movie to show a five-year-old i mean and, i've been watching I... it since about his age so
2: and I think, you know, talking about the legacy or the longevity or, you know, the reason we're talking about is that's another element of it is that original fans, wherever they found it, are showing it to their kids. And now there's a second generation of kids that range from 20 somethings all the way down to five years old, as we're talking about now, because people keep introducing it to their kids or their nieces and nephews or their, you know, uh, and that's not. I don't think that happens for every single movie out there. I really don't. Yeah. And it's something you I don't think it's unique singularly. I think it's a unique thing. And we just happen to be a part of that, which is another reason we may be talking about it in another <laughs> yeah. ten ten years or, or so. And uh, well, gosh, we just had the 30th anniversary. Now, 40th isn't that far away. So, I guess Melissa, you're right on track.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, like seriously, it's like once you hit 40, it's like downhill from there. But with Monster Squad, it's going to be completely different because it's just gonna it's just gonna show everybody how a movie can transcend the times.
2: And you could be right, and you know, it it could be you know kind of the thing that we touched on earlier of 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 why. And I think if you really look back at the story and the characters and the dialogue and look, some of the dialogue's problematic today. Um, either there's movies that we're making today that the dialogue will be problematic in 20 years. Um, and it, so that's just how that goes. I mean, you can't you can't do anything about that. Um, you just have to acknowledge it and, and discuss it and talk about it and understand. But the archetypes, the characters, the relationships, uh, the situations, everything, I think it's all so Ele- e- e- elemental to human experience, put in this kind of fantastical setting, but it connects and it trans, and it and it doesn't it doesn't get old. Uh, I had more than one uh, podcast crew in the last couple months say that um, we'll be talking about when they say wheel like the the world or you know you know fan bases and and people will be talking about and watching Monster Squad in 25 30 years and we won't be watching end game because it doesn't matter right. it's just this big splashy cartoony fun thing for that really fits in a certain era of time which is right now and i was like wow that's a big that's a big you know statement <laughs> you know kind of for whatever type of movie it is and i think there's some other you know examples of monster squad uh not type movies but that have fundamentals and archetypes of characters and relationships that don't that that don't get old you know and then yeah. those things will always be a part of the human condition
1: it's, there's a lot of heart in the movies i i often equate the monster squad like kind of like the, what et does to the ufo thing the monster squad's like that for monsters you know what i mean
2: well you're right and i think melissa mentioned you know you're the you know you know you're in the monsters and you know the five year old is like getting introduced. More. So everybody loves to say it was my gateway movie into genre or into yeah. the classic movies, but it was sort of like a, it was a gateway, but the gate swung both ways. It swung forward. So they would get into genre or horror movies or monster movies or creature features, but the gate swung the other way too, and got a ton of people interested in the classics, which set up all of your modern stuff and your future stuff. So it was an interesting gateway because it swung both ways. Yeah, And I, that's kind of cool to be a part of.
0: <laughs> I, I loved it because it was like one of the first quote unquote horror movies that I was allowed to watch without parental supervision.
3: <laughs> right. Cause
0: like I probably, Maddie and I have discussed it quite often where there's a lot of horror movies that we watched growing up that we know for a fact we watched way too young. Oh yeah. <laughs> <So> no doubt. <laughs> being able to, you know, actually sit and be able to call this my own and, you know, not have to have, Mom and Dad over my shoulder while I was watching it made it a better experience too
2: and I think you're part of a a a larger kind of audience crowd that would say that have that has said and would say the same thing that they got to experience it however they did um and they felt the same way it wasn't um, they felt it was their own, and they felt they were a part of it and and that's that was another thing that you know helped with you know connecting to it. Uh, Melissa where did you see it for the first time like in in the God, on VHS, it, it, wasn't, it
0: wasn't in theater I think um I think it was a Friday night VHS night I had a slumber party at my house all my girlfriends yeah. were over and I'm not even oh, I have to say it now we were all crushing on you on me <laughs>
2: so, yes. oh I'll take so, that because it's usually that Ryan
0: with that movie <laughs> well
2: it's usually that Ryan Lambert guy so it's a win for me on this one I'll take it I'll no take it.
0: It, it, I had I had always had the thing for you in that movie for whatever reason I, the I will jacket, take it the leather jacket didn't do it for me back then <laughs>
2: <laughs> the dorky insufferable know-it-all did I guess okay good 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 yeah good. The, we, the
0: bad boys didn't hit until high school
2: <laughs> oh, so I slid, I slid in there just in time okay, good good
0: yeah pretty uh, much I think that was like still my elementary school days where i wasn't even really i was thinking about boys but not really
2: right <laughs> and like, so the not dangerous the kind not of dangerous like safe guys right the great I need i'll to take it
0: to, type yeah, deal <laughs> i'll
2: tell you what not much has changed I don't think. <laughs> you know i i'm i i fancy myself cool but i don't think i really am um i i, I fake it pretty good um Attack. Matthew, where did you first see it? Was it a, a, a VHS or HBO VHS store? Or?
1: Yeah, VHS store. I broke out my VHS for the occasion.
2: Yeah, see, I'm. I love. It's an interesting thing with mine because it's because of its longevity. It's shown on so many different ty- different mediums, yeah. all the way from 35 to laserdisc and and streaming. You know now, so and all all in between. Yeah. And the but the VHS thing was special because that's where it really hit, and I love seeing that box cover because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great It's done. a great yeah. shelf piece.
1: I love that artwork. Um. I have two of them. <clears throat> I actually have two of them, and they were incredibly hard to hunt down. There's like I, before they the are. DVD came out, like when they, re, they re-released the DVD years back. My God, that was one of the hardest movies to find.
2: Wow. <laughs> it really well, that's was. a that's why the the VHSs are hard to find because you know people got them and kept them and yeah. some didn't know they had it in a box but others were like I'm never getting rid of this because we're never getting anything else yeah and then a DVD finally came out which happened to be a cool 20th anniversary double disc you know type of thing and they changed the cover art yeah. and um mm. but um, you know
1: why they changed the cover art
2: I I, I do the legal um, thing. No, no, really? <laughs> no, uh, even worse. Uh, I'll tell you that story in a minute. Cause I, it's, it's a, it's a self-deprecating uh, <laughs> put my foot in my mouth story. Um, so remind me to tell you that yeah. one, but uh, it was a fascinating dynamic that, cause even some bootleg DVDs went around, you know, the, the, the world for a while. And I had a, a, a friend of mine at one time in the early two thousands and I was over at their house and she goes, look what I just got. And she pulls out this DVD of Monster Squad, and I went, "That's not real."
0: <laughs> I said, "That's
2: a bootleg." She goes, "No, I got it from the UK." I was like, "Exactly." Yeah. And she's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "There's no DVD." I was like, "It's a bootleg," and she's like, "Oh." <laughs> and so I kind of like burst her bubble that night, um, which <laughs> which good. I felt bad about, but I mean, it wasn't didn't really affect me. more. you know, you can enjoy it. But I was like, "They're not making a DVD," and then you know, like six years later, they did. But when the DVD came out, Lionsgate didn't really know what they were getting into. And I don't think anybody did, but they certainly didn't because it was all very new for everybody with whatever the resurgence was happening, because this was the first year that kind of sparked off and they made their run of however many units and it sold out in three days. And then they made another press and it sold out at the end of that next week. And they did one more and it sold out and then it was out of print again. So the DVD finally got out there, and then you couldn't get it again. And so the DVDs were getting passed around and and re, you know resold on eBay, and it was just insane. Um, eBay and then games. there's a Blu-ray and another Blu-ray and all this stuff. It's just <laughs> it was just a very interesting run at that time. But I love that VHS box because it, it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty cool.
1: Yeah, the artwork's great on it. I mean, that's one of the things I remember most as a kid. Is that 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 you know, much like a lot of VHS, you know, they really that's what. You really need the capture, the the renter with that one that you have that first impression image, and you really had to pull them in with that. And that was yeah. that picture, I mean, that picture says so much in that one thing. You know what I mean?
2: There's, I think it's one of the more um, just because I know it so because it's seared into my brain. You know, I saw it every day for you know ever yeah. uh, that poster art, but. I think it's very singular. I think a lot of other box covers and artwork and even posters of today and genre place, they kind of use elements of it. Um, I thought one of my, uh, I can't, was it four Oh, Oh, I know what it was. It was um, an Annabelle poster. I don't know which, remember which one, but not the first one, maybe the 11th, however many they've had. Yeah. Uh, I, I
0: think like, uh, the most recent one, like the homecoming one or something. Something like, like that. Like, like James Wan out. was
2: like Love this new poster. It's got some Monster Squad elements. I was like, did James Wan just, like, poster quote Monster Squad? I was like, this is pretty <laughs> rad. Um, and I was like, hey, James Wan, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah, um, so, he st- he still hasn't tweeted me back, but it's good. Um, he will. But he's it, it really did. Huh?
1: He's nervous. He's, he's working up the gall to contact back. You're more popular uh, yeah.
0: than he is right
2: now. It <laughs> might be the other way.
1: What's funny is like, you, you'll you see, there'll be filmmakers like that that are gigantically huge, but they'd, they'd fanboy, you know, they'd meet you and they'd fanboy out because they grew up loving, you know what I mean? The character. So you, you never know what that dynamic, you know what I mean?
2: Uh, I'll tell you, I know. <laughs> yeah, you got some good stories, ex- cool folks. I've experienced a little bit. It's, it's, yeah. it's really neat. Um. um you know, and, and then you see elements or 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 Easter eggs or trade offs, you know, for some awesome people, and that's just neat. Or you know, they'll give it a shout out, um, and you're just like, that's insane. Yeah. And you know, like one of my, um, sort of, I, I love movies. I I I watch movies. I don't inhale movies like some people do, and I try to watch a lot. I read a lot. I read a lot. Of, I, I I spend a lot of my time reading, uh, except for this year. <laughs> I've just watched way too much repeat television. But um, yeah. one of my favorite movies of probably the last 10 years is A Quiet Place. And I thought A Quiet Place was fantastic. I thought it was well directed. I thought the story was awesome. I thought the script was great. And Krasinski and Emily Bunt were phenomenal But I thought the kids were amazing in it. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was a great story. And, you know, uh, Beck and Woods, you know, are the screenwriters of that. And these two guys, and I f- had followed them, you know, on Twitter for a while just because I liked their movie. <laughs> and I didn't know that they were monster squad fans and um they had mentioned something one time and then we kind of like dm each other like oh my god and they're like no oh and they were like oh my god and I was like no oh my god <laughs> but I think we just omg back and forth on a on a twitter feed for, or a dm feed for a while uh and I was just like no this is cool you know eh.
0: so there's no longer a 6 degrees of kevin bacon it's the 6 degrees of the monster squad <laughs>
2: Damn it. It might be, you know, you never know just cause so how, not only how many people are in it and how many people have worked on it that, you know, that changed so many things that are just these awesome, you know, kind of people, including Fred and Shane and uh, you know, actors like, you know, Duncan Regeer and Tom Noonan and Stephen mocked and uh, even the creature makers, you know, that all worked at Stan Winston shop at the time, which was awesome. But um, my, Oh, I promised I would tell you the story. So I, <laughs> here's my, here's my, here's my self kicking in, in the butt story. So we you know we were surprised that Lion, you know studio was putting out the dvd it wasn't even the original studio they just had the rights at the time and they launched it at comic con like san diego comic con so we were doing this big pavilion like had a signing day and it was packed and it was awesome and we were like wow and i even think lionsgate was like uh we didn't expect this yeah. <laughs> and it was just massive but before we went up for like the the signing block uh, we were back up in the hall where you, you kind of meet some press and take some photos and answer some questions. And um, we took some photos with like other filmmakers that you're like, I don't know who this is. And then like become like famous people. You're like, Oh, yeah. shit. Um, but we were, they had the two posters, like, <laughs> kind of like that. Um So I think where I got the idea from, but these two <laughs> giant, you know, pr- you know, uh, foam core backed posters of the new cover art. And we had, there was a whole thing online of like no one liked the cover art and where was you know the original poster and um I, people started emailing and and like my spacing me at the time whatever it was at the time
0: the fans and started. I was like right.
2: I didn't so I I penned like an open letter to like everyone's like look folks this is awesome the DVD's coming out you know despite the cover like I didn't design it I don't know who did don't write me like. I will I will gladly interact and answer your questions if I can, but I didn't make that cover and I'm sorry you think it sucks. <laughs> and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it has to do with the movie. I don't. And I think I've mentioned something, you know, a little snarky in that kind of that like post, but uh, you know, six months later or whatever, we're at comic con and we're up in that media area doing kind of interviews and photos and the Lionsgate PR department's there. And she's like, okay, our next thing is with, uh, I don't remember her names. You know, let's just say Jennifer. And she's like, Jennifer wants to take a picture, you know, between the posters. Uh, and it was me, Ryan and Ashley. And my dumbass opens my mouth and <laughs> says, yeah, great. Let's stand in front of these big giant posters that have nothing to do with the movie. And Ryan's like, yeah, <laughs> we laugh and it's funny. And I said, Jennifer, hey, how you doing? Uh, what do you do? She goes, I work at Lionsgate. I was like, oh, cool. What do you do? She goes, I designed the poster.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh,
2: great. Um, well, it's very colorful. It's very cool. But what it was, I think at the time, if you look on shelves, uh, like at Walmart and Target, you know, it's the same thing. It's uh, There was a certain style and a trend of box covers it, it kind of in that five-year block and it looks exactly like all the others and I don't know who the kid is I don't know what the bandolier bullets and the curved like I don't know what movie that's from and I don't know who the kid's supposed to be but they kind of updated it um yeah, but that. then you know they actually put that insert on that first run they put the insert of the original poster in there in the first dvd run so if you have a dvd from 2007 and you have that insert and on the back of the insert has a a letter from Fred Decker, then you have uh, the first run DVD run. And then if you have the insert of the original poster art without the letter from Fred, I think it's the second run. And then if you don't have any insert, that was the third run. I think that's how that went. (laughs) And I'm pretty uh,
0: sure I think I might have the second run then (laughs) for the DVD copy, yeah.
2: But yeah, I don't, I mean, I... That's, it was one of those learning experience to uh, not say your snarky comment when you don't know who's standing next to you. That's always, <laughs> always lesson number one when I when I tell people what not to do. And yeah, I kind of with that one.
0: I kind of was like,
2: whoops. Um, but look, that post art made no sense. I don't care. <laughs> it really didn't. You, sh- you already had the art for something that was iconic. You could have just tweaked that. Um, and what I would have really liked to see, like, and we've talked about this for years, is if you note, like, if Matthew, if you pick up your box there and and look at the cover, there's something missing from that design. And it's interesting. And what I would love them to do if you were going to change, which I thought would have been even a better change, if you're going to change a cover art, you need to put the hero of the movie on the poster. Phoebe is not on the poster. Oh, Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: And
2: she is oh. she is just as big of a part of the monster squad as anybody else cuz she saves the day. Yep. And um she's not on the poster. And
0: Yeah, I the little it, the one that, the little boy, it, it's all the guys.
2: <laughs> right. And so from today's lens you could look at that and go, "Oh, yeah, let's just get rid of the little girl." Um and that's actually not what happened. So it's very easy to do that. It was a weird thing because uh that was actually a photo shoot day of us uh, as the cast. And we actually went to uh, like a parking garage where they set up a, a photo shoot and we sat on the hood of a car and took the photo. But what's interesting is uh, Ashley, I think, had some other work commitment or something, a com- something that she couldn't make that photo shoot that day. And I don't know. And Ashley always wants to blame it on her mom or something like that to where they got mad at them for you know not being able to be there or something i don't think that's what it was but someone made the decision to just go ahead and make the poster and not put phoebe on it which is a total mistake yeah. in my mind but also that's not a photograph we took a photograph so you know an artist could do an artistic rendering of that photograph so all you had to do was take a picture of phoebe and then put it, we had we had reference. technology to do that. You know, it's, uh, I mean, Hanna-Barbera could have put Phoebe on that, you know, uh, in there. But uh, I always thought that was a big, a big, big, a big miss. So the 40th anniversary
0: miss. release of the movie.
2: It's just going to be Phoebe. <laughs> we,
0: we can, no, we're going to reshoot that scene just like it is, but that picture as is, but add Phoebe onto it. <laughs> All grown up. I,
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll do that because we've had we've had those we've had those kind of um you know hang out over whiskey or long airplane trips talks about you know updating stuff or taking a photo like that or you know what a sequel would look like or something like that and uh, yeah you gotta do i think that's i think that's the 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 best the best thing um have
0: there been any because i i haven't heard anything but are there any like talks of oh, the awful reboot word <laughs>
2: Well, if, it's, if, the, if the word reboot is awful to you, then you're lucky you didn't hear them for the four or five years that it was happening. Oh, um,
0: gosh. Back I remember. in
2: like 2010, uh, um, actually one of the original producers, uh, a young producer named Rob Cohen on the Monster Squad, <laughs> uh, who is now gigantic Rob Cohen, um, said, oh, this is popular again. We should remake this. And, uh, you know, kind of, I think, locked up the rights for a certain amount of time and teamed up with uh, Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes, Mm. for a number of years to actually uh, remake the Monster Squad. And that the, I think the timing worked out to whereas they couldn't really crack the story and figure it out. And right when that was all kind of happening, uh, Universal Studios announced the Dark Universe. And said, "We're going to do all of our old monster movies again," and they. And then I think Platinum Dunes. I, I remember Brad Fuller making, you know, the, the announcement. In the trade it was like, "Oh yeah, we were working on a reboot of the Monster Squad, but if Universal's kind of doing the Universal like, there's no reason for us to do it, so the project's not happening." Uh, and then that was that. Uh, so the reboot died, like in 2014 or something, or 2015. And then the next year, the Dark Universe died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I just thought
1: we are going to get that reboot because, like, I'm not a big supporter of reboots, but the Monster Squad. Is a movie I could see playing very well to a newer audience every time out the yeah. gate, the same way you have a Ninja Turtles movie, movies every five to 10 years. You know what I mean? I feel like I don't condone they're doing it, but I do feel like you can bring, you can make a monster squad for every generation. You know what I mean? I,
2: I don't disagree. And just yeah. whether, you know, cause everybody's like, are you in it? Are you involved? I'm like, I have no idea what it is and I doubt it. I think they're making it for a new audience.
0: It's going to be um, your kids in the movie. You know we well that's the, next that's the generation.
2: yeah good. that's the who knows it just depends on how they write the script but I think like to Matthew's point is I I totally agree and I think we all would enjoy like ongoing stories you know kind of wrapped up in the same vein you don't remake the movie every 10 years um, or, I mean you could because uh, we've seen that a bunch like but ninja Turtles it's not they're not it's not the same thing every time it's you know the same group it's a little tweaked or a different villain or a different adventure. Uh, I think there's so much to go on in in the universe of Monster Squad um, and storytelling and medium. You know, you could do a lot, um, but my favorite thing is no reboot, no remake. Um, you do a, a a modern day sequel, which is a passing of the torch type thing. So there's a new, and I think that's important. You know, almost a la what they've been doing with some things in in the Marvel world. You know, like like you know, Peter Parker doesn't have to be the only Spider-Man, you know, or, yeah. or, or whatever character that you like, you know, it, it can pass on the torch or, you know, even, you know, Black Panther or something like that. And yeah. um, which I thought is that's, I think that's the way to go with something like this.
1: For sure. You know I mean? Stranger things is the biggest thing in the world. I mean, that definitely takes influence from the monster squad. Even I'd say like those it reboots, I always felt, you know, kind of the losers club from the, it type of it from the it films, and the monster squad were kind of, like, in the same vein, you know what I mean? The same type of deal.
0: Yeah, the, the camaraderie and how we both stuck together. and
1: You guys would have had a bigger squad if you all went to high school together type deal, you know what I mean? The, right.
2: right. Um, and, I, and I think that's uh, – I think all of the story, like it, I mean, kind of predates or – you know, pre the book, you know, certainly predates, yeah. you know, kind of, and I think it was an influence, you know, for Fred and Shane. Um, but I think the kind of topic and the and the 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 group of misfits, so to speak, you know, coming together, you know, they're only friends because they're a bunch of misfits, so they can only be friends with each other. Yeah. Uh, but then, what's interesting about that is, as soon as you become a tribe or a group, you're no longer misfits. You have each other. So you're no longer misfits. Um, But then like your group is a misfit because you're all, you know, similar, but we all knew people like that, or we all were that, you know, growing up, you know uh, you know, I was definitely in a lot of different camps, you know, growing up at different times in my life. And I didn't really fully fit in in any one of them at any one time, you know, I had a foot in a lot of different ones cause I could. And then I was plucked out of some and pushed into others and just, you know, by, you know, natural degree or decree, um, you know, in others. And so I understand that dynamic and everybody just thinks, Oh, you were the cool kid that grew up on TV and film. Like I did do that. So that automatically makes you a weirdo with kids that aren't that you go to school with that aren't you're the outcast cause you're different. And how I mean, how you know, was it
0: like with the popularity of the Monster Squad? How was it trying to incorporate like a normal lifestyle once that movie took off?
2: Well, the good thing about that is that it never did. Like it bombed in the box office, <laughs> and no one, no one remembered it. So it was kind of you know, Monster Squad wasn't the problem <laughs> uh, or the or the solution. But you know, because Monster Squad is obviously one of the. The, the bigger most notable things that I'm I'm known for, but you know I worked for years you know on on TV and and, and films for a lot of and then for years after Monster Squad, so I was never not in the I was never not in this industry you know no, you were in a lot of things from age five and you know so that automatically separates you as different you know, from, but I lived in a neighborhood and I had neighborhood friends and I loved going to school. I loved going to school. Like I loved school. Uh, I also played rec league sports. I played organized sports and then when I was in high school, I played high school sports. And then I left, you know, I, I left the industry, you know, to go to college and actually played basketball in college. And then after, and so it was the, all that other stuff was, you know, was very important to me, but ever since I was, you know, a kid, you know, five, six, seven years old, I always had a balance of, uh, you know, kind of movie industry life and uh, not movie industry life. And I had just as many friends out of the business that I did in the business. So I really kind of had two parallel worlds that coexisted, you know, kind of on two parallel paths. Sometimes they crossed over and touched a little bit, but but most of the time they were were separate and and different. Uh, But some of my oldest friends in the world from five, six, seven years old are from my neighborhood. Some five, six, seven years old, are from the business, so I, I I don't see it as a as a as a negative. I don't see it as a distraction. I know a lot of kids in the business that only had kind of business world. They didn't have like a regular neighborhood, you know, kid life, and and liked going to their their school and and going on school field trips and 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 becoming lifelong friends with your seventh grade teacher, or, you know, something like that. Yeah, um, a lot of
0: th- those are the unfortunately the ones you see on like those VH1 specials of where are they now. Yeah. Unfortunate. And
2: I always watch those, you know, with, you know, uh, you know, there's a tear in one eye and, you know, sort of like a side eye to the other. And that's unfortunate. And sometimes they make their own decisions. And sometimes it's the situation that you're put in either by your parents or your family or, you know, your, your industry representatives or, you know, whatever it is. You know, I can look back and say, I missed out on a lot of cool stuff that some people did at the time that I didn't. Uh, but they didn't also do the things or access to the things that I got to do. Right. Um, and so I think it, at the end when the wash cycle ends and you pull out the, cl- like, I, I think I'm in pretty good shape. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really regret it, anything.
1: Yeah. You were, so you were in like high school, living in California doing the, the auditioning thing and going to school. I, it's funny. I always assume whenever I think of that thing, I always, I like that dynamic to it. I always assume very like, everybody gets out at two and they all go do auditions and then they come back. You know what I mean? Like I, because of that world over there that I just assume everybody's engulfed in it. You know what
2: I mean? I, uh, and when you're fortunate enough to be working or either be sought after for auditions, uh, your afternoon is spot on. That's exactly what it is. And, um, we actually like our school in, like we were later in the day. Like it was like, we we get out late West coast stuff. We get out late. We start late and we get out later. Um, And you know, so yeah, like two, three in the afternoon school's out. So you just had a whole day of school of, you know, fifth grade or eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever. And then your parents are there waiting in the line to, you know, pick you up and take you home. And you know, your first question is how many. Yeah. And you know, for a number of years, my first question when I got in the car was how many and sometimes the answer was one. And sometimes it was six. Wow. You know, you know, for that day, because, you know, when you're auditioning for commercials and TV shows and movie or whatever, if you're not currently on something with a, you know, a long term footprint, like a series or a, or, a, or a movie shoot, and you're you're wide open, and you're just auditioning and trying to get that next, you know, kind of uh, uh, casting agreement. Um, you it's open game. So you're out there for everything. And I mean, there was times, you know, probably there were six or seven auditions in an afternoon and evening and you're driving all over LA and I'll damn it. I'll tell you, if you have multiple auditions and you were a kid in the eighties in LA and you had multiples, number one was nowhere near number two. And number two was nowhere near number three, because number three was right back kind of where number one was. Yeah. <laughs> so you were just crisscrossing everything uh, and we all, you know, that's something that a very small group of people can, uh, you know, relate to for, you know, a number of time.
0: Meanwhile, doing homework in the back seat of a car.
2: <laughs> Meanwhile, doing homework in the back seat of a car. Um, and you know, me, I was, I'm sure others did it. I, you know, I know the other kids that played organized sports, but I mentioned it before. I always played organized sports. You know, year round, depending on what the sport is, whether it's basketball or baseball or soccer. Uh, and then it kind of, over the years, it, it it ended up being just basketball and baseball, but that's autumn and winter and spring and summer. So you're playing a sport year round, no matter what it is. And I was always a tennis player, even though I was an organized, just club player and played with my family and friends. So it was always active. But my biggest thing was, damn it, if I have this, you know, Coca-Cola audition and I'm going to miss basketball practice tonight, you know, for my 12 year old rec, you know, organized rec league I'm going to be, pissed. <laughs> you know, it's like, so we made, we added another element and I what went to school, then auditioned, then would race back to try to make practice or games or something. And I would not only do my homework, but I would change into my uniform in the backseat of the car and then come, you know, coming in hot to some, you know, high school gym <laughs> to play some rec league game, you know, on a Thursday night or a Saturday afternoon or something and, uh, you know, throw on your high tops and your uniform and, and, and run into the gym sometimes, but, uh, we made it work.
0: So needless to say, mom and dad never had a problem with getting you to go to bed at night. <laughs> yeah.
2: No. Yeah. I think I was tuckered out almost every night. I was pretty good. And, and you know, I wasn't out like I had great friends and went to great, had a great opportunity to experience things. And I think being that busy also, I don't think I ever would have been that trouble kid. Like I never got in trouble and because I wasn't cool enough to do stuff that would get you. You know, I just wasn't, I just wasn't that kid. Uh, there was a few things that I did that I did get in trouble for, you know, it was nothing major. Um, you know, I had a, you know, a, uh, one of my best friends growing up, Alice uh her and her dad, we, we were family friends and she's a two years old, or a year older than I am. She's, she's been a cop in LAPD for like 23 years now, but we, um, they had a 1964 and a half uh, convertible Mustang. It was the first year they ever made the Mustang and it was cherry red with white interior. And I was 14 and we would drive around in that. And one night we got it. She goes, "You want to drive?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> so we pulled over, and I got in the car, and I was driving around this neighborhood. And damn it, bloop! Got pulled over by the cops. And I was 14 with no driver's <laughs> license, driving this classic, you know, parade car. Is literally used in parades. Yeah. And uh, oh, we thought we were cooked. We thought we were cooked. Um, And that's kind of the extent of the. Tr- we didn't. Get, I. I mean, they called our parents. Like we told our parents, and we were fine. But. It's fun, it's nice. I wasn't cool enough to do like bad stuff. I just didn't I wasn't cool.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think I was too scared to do really really cool stuff. But um uh I think I was too busy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That's big
1: part of it. Yeah. If you stay busy and keep the right people around you, you know, that's how you don't kinda of fall into those traps that you see certain people fall into.
2: Well, I think not only you know you mentioned keeping busy, which is you know idle hands, you know that old and you know analogy, but I think yeah, the people around you are are the the biggest factor in 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 kids going you know left when they should go right or go up when they go down and and make mistakes that sometimes you can come back from and sometimes you can't come back from and um it's definitely the people around you and I mean, if there's any kids out there that you know are 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 struggling with the fact that you know, maybe they're in this industry or, you know, their parents are a little too much involved or they have management that's really on on point and keeping you, you know, kind of you know, in a bubble or in a box, um it that's not a bad thing. That yeah. <laughs> really isn't. It may suck now, but it's not.
1: Yeah, you can live life later if you want, but
2: yeah make, own, yeah, yeah, make your own yeah, don't parents-
0: make your own decisions <laughs> at some point. Yeah, my parents were very overprotective, so I wasn't allowed to do much of anything. So, like, it's like once I got a taste of that freedom, it was pretty much downhill from there.
2: (laughs) That's where the bad boys came in? Is that what it was? Yeah,
0: this all ended, like, maybe two weeks ago.
2: it's 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 an ongoing process right yeah now all the root now all the rudy's in your life are you know the the influence i
0: I was just gonna make a comment about that because the fact that you're drinking out of a cup that says rudy on it rudy's on it is hilarious oh
2: did you notice sorry (laughs) Yeah. um, this is actually a a barbecue place i um i'm a tea fiend so i always have an iced tea in my hand and especially when i'm podcasting because i talk so damn much and um uh, so I, I have tea in here, but I love giant plastic cups. So I'm giving a little free Rudy's barbecue plug tonight. This is just one of my big plastic cups. Because yeah, if it's I see a cool cup I'll it. Yeah, it's just funny that that was the I'll character
0: in, a mo- in the movie, no. too. So here, I'll,
2: what- I'll, uh, I, sh- I should angle it to where you can't read it. There we go. I'm <laughs>
0: not paying for product placement.
2: Yeah. Um, and damn it, Rudy's, if you get that, I better get a free sandwich next time I'm, I- I'm in one of your locations.
1: Believe that. <laughs> I had a question to the Steve with the Stephen King rule shirt. Did Stephen King ever address that or comment on that? It became such a pop culture thing.
2: You know, I think, um, I think years ago, someone, you know, would mention him or write him or something. And I think at one point he mentioned, like, I don't know it. I've never seen it. I I think he has now. Um, I've never been in the same location he has. Otherwise I would obviously go say hello and hopefully take a picture. Um, and even if I stood in line, you know, at a convention to do it, but he's not that guy. Um, I think at some point um, I, I don't know um, w- what I always wanted, you know, there's always a little kind of, um, you know, you always, you know, dream scenarios are really cool scenarios. Like if you're redoing something or making a sequel or doing a fun video or something is to have, you know, w- while someone's wearing the shirt or like, like I'm wearing the shirt or the character's wearing the shirt or something, just have, just have a cameo or Stephen King like walk by you or something and, we're just kind of stop and look at it and leave. Like you always want just stuff like that, which would just go, you know, bananas. And uh, so maybe, maybe one day we'll get that. That'd be kind of cool. I don't fit in the original shirt anymore. If that's I was
0: gonna one. ask you that, and then no. i like, no, don't do it.
2: <laughs> it. You know, which is very alluded to in that little cut at the end of the documentary where we show everybody. It's just sort of this kind of smash cut uh it's a very small shirt. <laughs> I don't know how obviously it shrank in the garage, obviously.
0: Yeah, I was going to I was going to wear this and then I looked at the size and I'm like, yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, mine is really really so it's a very small piece of garment um which is insane. Um but I'm very lucky I have it. And I actually have my whole wardrobe from that movie. So I have the the jeans and the shoes and uh the jacket and the and the yellow flannel and even the the the, uh rugby shirt that i wear in like two scenes um which is also small even though it looks giant on me in the movie <laughs> it was like I'm, I'm not i'm not a giant dude you know i'm I'm, yeah. I'm stocky i'm i'm built like a like if you took like a, a like a redwood tree like like a big giant tree <laughs> and you timbered it and you cut it i'm what's left <laughs> so, so. i'm just always been short stocky and athletic ever ever since uh you know the the you know the mid teenage years.
1: Not a bad deal. Do you remember what it was like <laughs> when you first when you first met Fred Decker? Do you remember that meeting?
2: The very first, I, I think it was just in the auditioning process. Yeah. Um, and you know, I noticed that there was you know usually two dudes in there that weren't really much older than us, and you know because they were like in their young twenties at the time, you know, or something like that, and. Um, you know, I, what was interesting is, you know, you may have heard it, or I mean, I'm sure some listeners have heard it. Um, I, I didn't audition for Sean Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, my original audition was uh, in screen all the way, all the way through the screen test and and producers level calls was all uh, I read for Rudy. So Melissa, I you know it could have worked out <laughs> terribly for you. Back
0: then, yeah, <laughs> I would have said about uh, Yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I I originally auditioned for Rudy because leading up to that time, my body of work was you know kind of the cool kid with the awesome hair and cool clothes, and that was just sort of an automatic kind of thing in the submission process. And you know, got in the room, only read for Rudy. Uh, met Fred, you know, met Shane, you know, cool dude, you know, energetic, young. Um, and I remember Penny Perry, who was the casting director, who I had been in her office, you know, dozens and dozens of times over the years. And so it was just another kind of like probably Wednesday afternoon audition thing. And then I went back the next week and went back the next week, but just all is Rudy. And luckily um, someone in that room, whether it was, I don't know who it was. I might, I might ask Fred one day. I just never had that conversation. Um, You know, whether it was Fred or Shane or Penny or Peter Hyams, you know, was involved in some, some, some casting issue, uh, casting situations you know, someone in that room, because I know what happened. Ryan Lambert walked into his, you know, called and, 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 and murdered it and became Rudy in that moment. And they were like, this is the, this is the kid. And that could have been the very moment that I was never involved in monster squad, but someone in that week or time frame said, what about that kid we read for, for Rudy that could we cut his hair off and, and, and take all the product out of it and, and put some really small t-shirts on them. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, could he be Sean? Cause I, I think he, you know, someone, I don't know what they said that day, yeah. uh, but I'm sure glad they did. Um, and because I got to be part of the monster squad.
1: Now the film wasn't like a gigantic success when it came out again, it got its legs later in life. Um, the, you know, when it came out, were, were kids your age, were they really jiving with it? Because a lot of, like, the, they can relate to it, even though it wasn't a financial success. Were they, like, in awe of it? And then, I, you know, the, I know you're in, from California, where, you know, being in a movie isn't a whoa thing anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. How Did they, did your kids react to it the way that they, they were supposed to?
2: No, because no one saw it.
1: Nobody's seen it, huh?
2: <laughs> Not many. Um <laughs> Because... You know, back in the day, in in at that time, when you make a movie, you your that movie has about forty eight hours, or maybe seventy two, to um, stick around for the next weekend. And if you don't hit that mark that someone sets for that first, then you're dead, you're gone, uh, and that's what happened with Monster Squad. I mean, I think the longest anywhere it stayed in the theater was into a third weekend, and that was really long. I think the average was one. <laughs> And, uh, you know, then a middle, you know, there's some that it went from like one weekend to the next weekend and then it was gone. It's still only one week. It's two weekends, but it's one week. Um, And then I've known people, you know, filmmakers and fans that said, no, it was I went back every weekend for like three weeks and then it was gone. But, yeah, in L.A., it's two different things. Like I said, I lived in kind of two parallel worlds. So, you know, I don't even remember like if my friends in seventh grade or it was eighth grade when it came out, like it was summer. And I was going to, you know, the same school, you know, crossed over from that seventh to eighth grade. Uh, I I think they went and saw it or either some of them came to the screenings because I invited them or something, you know, or they went to the mall and, you know, but it was weird. You know, even when you're in seventh, eighth, ninth grade in LA or high school, like, oh, your friend's in a movie. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody's in a movie in LA. (laughs) Uh, But that's not, you know, that's not actually true because the numbers, it's insane. There's millions of people that live in LA that aren't in the movie industry. Yeah. And some do. I mean, I think I saw it, but it went away so fast and it wasn't a big thing. Yeah. Um, And I had actually moved on into other stuff. So people were watching that. I went right into a, a, you know, I did, you know, a bunch of TV in between, like we did the movie and then it came out. And then as it was coming out, I was joining, you know, that wasn't until the next year. Uh, You know, I then went right into a, a, a television show, which is a brand new show on Fox was a brand new network that next year. Yeah. And it had like seven or eight original shows. And that was on one of those. And so we were watching that. And people were talking about that because it was current. And that lasted a little bit longer. It didn't last too long. But yeah, I think back in the day, I think some kids knew. And when they knew, it just, you know, it's the thing. Um, But, you know, we didn't have social media. We didn't have, you know, smartphones. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have laptops or, you know, even you know, desktops to communicate that way. It's like you had yeah. to see those people in the schoolyard or in the neighborhood or at the mall. And I got to interact with a ton of people because I, like I said, I loved going to school, had friends, was always busy doing events or playing sports. And I was also busy a lot of the time doing promotional events for shows or movies or autograph signings or, you know, our social media of that day, Melissa, you may remember, <laughs> but you were really young, so you may not. Uh, our social media of that teen scene was teen magazines. And, you know, you, you know, you know, Bop and Team Beat and Tiger Beat and, (laughs) you know, all the other, you know, my wall
0: is covered.
2: (laughs) Right. So that was your social media. Yeah. So your, your DMing to your friend or sharing photos on Instagram of the day was cutting out those photos and putting them on your closet wall, right? Or in your locker or on your ceiling in your bedroom and then having your friends come over and look at your pinups. And, you know, I was part of that, you know, world too, which is, um, you know, not everybody gets to you know be part of that scene. So, I, so growing I up in fortunate.
0: growing up in the business, when you had an opportunity to have like the the normal side of life, what would you have been going to the movies to see? Like getting away from like the Monster Squad stuff. I,
2: I loved everything. I grew up. Um, I, I'm a first and foremost. I'm a TV kid. I'm a I, I'm a TV fiend. I love TV because uh, I grew up watching it. Uh and I grew up on it. So you're kind of interrelate you're kind of interrelated, which is which is which is weird. Uh movies are different. School I love movies. I grew up a sci-fi guy. I love sci-fi stuff. I love I also love fantasy and adventure stuff. Um and you know, as kids, you know, when we're growing up, we're all the same. Like whatever we're into that year, we want to see visual representations of that, whether it's a comic book or a choose your adventure novel. Uh, you know, it's like if you're really into like, you know knights and dragons and, and fantasy stuff, you're going to read those choose your adventure books. If you're really into, you know, space travel and time portals, you're going to read those choose your adventure novels or those young adult novels or kids books or whatever. Um, I loved everything. I really did like everything. I was also influenced. Um, uh, my mom liked movies and and music and my dad uh, loved movies. And so he was uh And my parents are actually a little older than most of my age group. They're, you know, probably another half, they're like a class or two classes of grades, like older than most of my, my, my contemporaries parents. And my dad was, um, you know, loved World War II movies because they were, they were still big in the seventies and eighties. We were still making a ton of those. Uh, We had a lot of Vietnam movies in the eighties because it was so fresh. And so I grew, I cut my teeth on, On Vietnam movies and World War II, because I I became a history kind of—I don't say buff, but I like it—and I learned a lot about it. And my dad and I would go see movies, but we grew up in the Cold War, you know, in the height of the Cold War, and you saw that represented everywhere. And my dad loved James Bond; we loved spy movies, so we went to you know the drive-in, we went to the mall, you know. So I'd go see movies with my dad. I'd go see movies with my mom that were you know different types of movies. Um, You know, my. John Bond movie, if it had Gene Hackman in it, you know, my dad and I were going to go see it because it was probably a you know a spy movie or something. Um, cop movies were always great crime crime dramas, and television was just kind of really coming into its own. That was totally different in the eighties. I mean, and then you know we had we had cinematic stuff on the small screen like Miami Vice, which was groundbreaking and stuff. Um, but I love space. I love technology. I love you know alien movies, space movies, things like that. Horror movies. I wasn't a huge horror fan because most of it scared the shit out of me, uh, especially when you were really young. Even if you knew how it was made, these things were a little scary. Uh, I do remember the two movies that I saw, probably at way too young of an age, were The Exorcist um, and uh, The Thing.
1: Classic.
2: And because, like, what The Thing came out when I was ten. Same what eighty three. Same year as ET, yeah. right? That's the whole. Same year, uh, yeah. So I was ten. I was ten when The Thing came out, and. I went to, it was the, the Pepper Tree Cinemas, which is a little, I think three, a little triplex on, used to be on Reseda Boulevard in Northridge. And I was with my sister and her friends and they went to go see the thing. And I was there and when the dog turned inside out, my sister made me leave the theater.
0: <laughs>
2: and she's like, you have to go. I was like, no, I want to watch. She's like, you have to go.
0: Meanwhile, you're and watching with your fingers over your eyes like this. <laughs> so she made
2: me leave the theater and go into another theater by myself, which I thought would be been safer to stay and watch the thing. You know, now. But uh, I, I actually, I ended up seeing the thing, so it's fine. But I never would have saw Megaforce. Cause I went and saw Megaforce and nobody knows that terrible movie. And it's, it's, it's absolute schlocky gold. It's so good. Um, and like, I'll, I'll send, there's actually a Megaforce gif on Giphy and I'll send that to someone because it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's Barry Bostwick doing the cheesy thumbs up, okay, which yeah, yeah. relates to my cheesy thumbs up. <laughs> and so I'll send that one. And people were like, what is this? I was like, you have to go see Megaforce. <laughs> and yeah. I remember, cause I, I got uh, told to leave the theater from the thing, but I saw everything. Um, and like I said from bond movies to the thing and Megaforce, I dug, I dug it all. It wasn't one thing. Um, you know, And then you get older and, and, and you get to go to you know, movies on your own, on, on bikes with your friends, or in, you know when you end up getting your car or driver's license. And that's a whole other adventure. Um, but that's what I loved about the movie going physical experience. Because yeah. nowadays it's different. I can literally go, hey Matt, you want to watch a movie? Let's go. Nice. Here it is.
0: Yeah, I, 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 and I, we're not doing anything. With this last year, I think that's one of the things I've missed the most is actually being able to go to the cinema to see a movie. It's true.
2: And what we're realizing now is that the actual physical journey going to the theater and being in the room and the shared experience with other people or their friends. I love going to the movie theater by myself. That's my preferred method. Um, cause most people talk during a movie or they ask you questions. like, I don't want that. <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want to figure, I want to watch um, cause the rest of the people are annoying enough um, because no one knows how to go watch a damn movie in a the movie theater anymore. Um, but I think what we've realized this year, which is something I think we've always known but didn't understand, is that just watching the movie is not the whole experience. The The experience includes the planning, especially when we're kids. Like, hey, you know, Melissa, it's Andre. Like, uh, call Matt and see if, like, uh, you know, we can go to the mall and go see the movie. That means it's planning and coordination. Your, our parents have to drop us off. Or, Matt, meet me at my house and we'll ride our bikes over to the cinema and, you know, Melissa's going to meet us there because her mom's dropping her off. And then her mom will give us a ride home. Yeah, that was all an adventure. It was all a compacted experience that you had to plan and coordinate. And you it was a shared thing with your friends. And they know whether it's the mall, the thing you'd meet other friends and and, and, and meet other people. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, ooh, that cute boy will be there, or that cute girl will be there or something like that. That's all part of that experience. And we don't have that now and we definitely don't have it this year but even as adults the actual physical motion and the the endeavor of going to the theater is part of the experience um because that adds to the adventure and i think as kids it's even bigger
0: i don't i don't know about out on the west coast but i've never been off the east coast but i know like here this past summer with covid the drive-in became popular again
2: uh as as it never should have gone away uh, I am a that was like one drive-in of the, fan.
0: Me too. That was like one of the best things growing up as a kid, you know, mom and dad sticking you in pajamas, you know, it's like three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. They're putting you in pajamas,
2: yeah. loading up
0: the cooler, loading up the car. Let's go.
2: <laughs> and that was, I think, because you, you you just made the family experience of it, which was a a, a totally new thing. Uh, and yes, I mean, drive-ins were big on the West Coast, especially in Southern California. You know, it's the the cities that were built for the automobile not for mass transit not for trains and you know the 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 automobile rule so why would you not build a movie theater ba- you know based around your car but yeah you load up in the station wagon and, and and with your family and go see something i we had the winnetka drive-in right by the Northridge mall uh and that's where my dad and i would go and his big old giant brown ford ltd the biggest boat in the world the yeah. super comfortable <laughs> ugly brown and um I would drive that car around right now if I had it, though. Uh, and we, you know, watch. I remember seeing you know dozens of movies at the drive-in with my dad. Most notably, I saw Octopussy in the drive-in, and this was I saw a James Bond movie. And then I realized why Bond women were a thing because Maude Adams was. It blew my mind because <laughs> so I was like, she's really pretty.
0: Yeah, I and think she's like... <laughs> giant, like
2: now I understand what Bond women are about, and uh, maybe it was the timing and the age, but I was like, yes, I like Bond movies. Um, and maybe that's why my dad went too. I think he liked the Bond
0: movies. Yeah, but... I think I think the biggest movies I remember seeing in the drive-in as a kid growing up, I think it was Return of the Jedi, The Shining, and ET. Those oh, great! Were the...
2: Great time to go, and great movies to go see the drive-in.
0: Yeah, those are the ones that I that vividly stick out. Of yeah. Those, all that those are
2: awesome. I, I was, I was always mad when drive-ins would disappear and go away because people were going to these big giant cineplexes, you know, with 25 screens. And, you know, when that, that started killing the drive-in really in the, in the nineties. Right. Um, you know, some of the old kind of, you know, rural counties would still have the old beat up, you know uh, you know, drive-in it was, you know, it was kind of, you know, yeah, shoddily we have. Con- shoddily yeah. Constructed.
0: We have one. But of on the those... West
2: Coast, they had, yeah they had these just pantheons almost of with great art and on the back and like the Van Nuys Drive In and there's some of those you know facades still around and they're amazing. But I wish they never went away. And what's interesting is I think the drive-in you don't get anything more Americana than the drive-in. One I don't think you get anything more Americana than movies. You I know, have one. Of,
0: though... Remember when they used to have, before you could tune it in on your car radio and you had to put the speaker on the window. I have one of those speakers because one night my dad was like half asleep and drove away with the speaker <laughs> still attached to the door.
2: Yes. <laughs> the, the little can, the little can speaker was awful. It was tinny, but it was tech, you know, from the, from the fifties. That was fifties yep. technology. It was great. You know, just wire a, a speaker into your car and hang it on a hook. Uh, but no, when you did the clip on your antenna, you could tune into a the the low FM station, I believe, blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God. That's the original surround sound. You know, that's the original surround sound. It was mind-boggling. But I wish that it had never gone away. But And I hope that it sticks around once we come out of this because I think people have enjoyed it. I'm actually um, – uh, the Mahoning drive-in in Pennsylvania – uh, has been having big events for the last couple of years and especially this year. Uh, and I I've been invited to, they want to do a double bill. they're going to show monster squad and they're going to show the documentary uh, at the drive-in and oh, I'm losing awesome. my mind that that's happening. And we were trying to do it this fall, but it just didn't work. Uh, so I think we're looking at like April and I'm like, I think I'm going to do that. I'll go to that. You know, they're going to find Oh my
0: God. I think we need to do a shock treatment road trip. You should <laughs> do it.
2: Like stay in. Absolutely. We'll do so it. So like,
0: awesome. Yeah, do it. <laughs>
2: and I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I love the drive-in and I love the drive-in so much. Cause I, like I said, I think it's just so Americana uh, and it's a, it's a dying thing that just got resurrected. Um, but I, Hopefully I think it sticks around, but I wrote my, I was a, a mass com uh, journalism major in college and you had to write your you know, senior paper to you know, your final big class, your paper. And I remember it was, uh, uh, you know, you had to pick some, you had to pick an invention uh, of the 20th century um, that, you know, some, some sort of, you know, communication device or, or media device uh, that was interesting to write a paper about. And you couldn't pick the television or the telephone. And everybody picked like the, you know, the, the computer or the typewriter or, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, what, you know, cell phones, this is early nineties, cell phones were around and, uh, you know, so they did communications, things like that. I picked the drive-in movie theater as my senior paper. And the funny thing is there's no reference material on the drive-in movie theater printed anywhere. Wow. And I lost a whole letter grade because I didn't have enough cited references in my college senior paper. Uh, thanks, Kathy Mitchell. Um, that was. <laughs> yeah. I remember my teachers. Um, I, would have, I would
0: have passed you just for the fact that it was different from everybody else.
2: <laughs> yeah, she loved. She look. She loved the topic. There's just no references. Yeah. And really, the I got. Mo- and I act. I had him on our podcast. I've seen him numerous times. But Ryan and Lambert and I used to have a podcast, and we interviewed uh, him on it. And I thanked him because my most cited reference material of my senior paper that helped me graduate college uh, was Joe Bob Briggs' book.
3: Nice.
2: <laughs> and awesome. uh, I would have had very little uh, information to put in my paper. Sands and an encyclopedia, <laughs> a few newspaper articles, and Joe Bob Briggs' book about the drive-in movie theater. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I lost a whole letter grade, but Joe Bob saved my paper for me. Uh, and I thanked him on, the, on on our podcast. So that was kind of cool.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy.
1: We had we had, we interviewed Joe Bob for a documentary a couple of years back, and he was a really nice guy.
2: He is and now. He's doing his thing on Shutter, and everybody's digging that. And um, I, I just think that's awesome because he's a he's a he's a cool dude, and um, he could have very easily slid into you know the vellum of the Twilight you know years ago, and he kind of did. But I mean, he's just kind of stuck around in that pop culture, and now just came banging back, and I love it. Yeah. I love it
0: have him come and host your drive-in event.
2: Oh man, uh, he, yeah, that'd be That'd be rad. Um, I don't know if he'd while. do it. He's big <laughs> time again now. I don't know if he'd do it. He's like, "Andre who? I'm not doing that." Oh, that guy? No, thanks. Whatever.
0: We actually um, have like we have a drive-in here like that's I, I don't know if I want to say the halfway point between where Maddie and I live, but like they're still now in January still having drive-in nights on the weekends with showing movies. Like, it's cold. (laughs) And they're they're showing, like, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra with, like, Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation and, you know, (laughs) like, stuff like that. But, like, I I love the drive-in, but I don't know if I'd love it enough to go and, you know, bundle up in In, 20-degree
2: weather. (laughs) In the cold, right, in the cold, yeah. Because you're not going to run your car the whole time and blast the heater, although people do, I bet. But, and you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine with that right now. And, you know, we need something like that. And I think the drive-ins filling the void and there's pop-up drive-ins now, you know, all over the place, like in downtown areas, which is rad. Uh, I know the dock, the dock on the side of Walmart. Yeah, (laughs) no,
0: there's been a lot of Walmarts. They've been putting up screens and having events there to do, to just be able to have some people come out and get... Films yeah.
2: And I, th- and I think that's not just good for Walmart, but you know, it's good for, for us, you know, we get to go and, you know, we like, look, there's, there's days that I won't move off the couch. Like I can literally sit and watch TV for 12 hours straight and be like, oh, I should go eat. Um, <laughs> but you know, how long can we do that for? And we've been asked to do that for a long time, you know, since, you know, m- you know March, um, you know, how and we, st- we still got a little bit ways to go. Uh, but I think those cool th- outlets like that that are that are at least safe and and you get to go and experience it. I think that I think the drive-in is one of the things that saved this year. <laughs> yeah. And I celebrate. I'll write another senior paper about it. I don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do it. Why not?
1: As as far as Wolfman's got, Nards goes, was there a defining moment when you when something clicked and you said we just have to make this documentary right now or?
2: uh it. The overall, you know, thinking back there, there was sort of like a a period of time of a couple days that I realized that I, something like that could be done. What should it be? How should it be done? How do I put it together? Uh, Yes. Uh, But the only reason I got to that point was the, you know, six, seven years, 10 years leading up to that of these, you know, you know, constant interactions with fans all over the place and hearing these stories that told the impact of this movie on these human beings and their family or their lives or their jobs or in it, 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 it. And I learned that the fandom of monster squad was different. It was, Oh my God, I loved your movie. When I was like, kid, that's so neat that you're out talking about it today. Bye. That's neat. <laughs> that's so cute. And that happens a lot with nostalgic stuff or fandom stuff. And this was different. These fans are really connected to it for some reason. And I, I learned that early on and I thought it would, end and then it didn't and then I'd have these conversations with like Ryan and Ashley and 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 my you know even you know friends and my wife and like this is really is this does this happen like with other like, I'm not seeing that happen with a lot of other movies and even if it did I'm directly involved with this when these people are telling me these stories that how much this movie meant to them and yeah. means to them I've shown it to my kid I've done this so it was a cumulative effect of all of that that I realized that because i knew like a making of doc or where are they now doc was not would never do that Yeah, i realized that their stories were a story and that's what i wanted to make and so i thought how do we how do we do that and look my my original iteration of this was talking with Ryan and we were coming into the 30th anniversary year and we knew we had four or five big events to go to. And I was like, well, that's enough. And I was like, why don't we go get like a, I'll go buy like a used, you know, 4k camera and, or, or maybe one of our friends will lend it to me. And, um, you know, cause we all have filmmaker friends that have gear laying around. Yeah. And uh, you know, we'll go to these events and we'll interact with some fans. We'll, you know, film must be goofy, you know, and, and just being silly us. And, Uh, And then, you know, we'll come back to LA and we'll sit like four or five of the fans that we know that live in the area down in a chair and do kind of like the talking head thing. And then we'll have one of our editor friends cut it together and we'll buy them, you know, like a six pack or something. And, (laughs) and, and let's do that. Let's just see how it works. And I actually experimented with that, like one big event. I I brought some friends and some gear to that. And we took, and I I looked at, I was like, this is awful. Like, this just looks and sounds like shit. And um, it's this, this is not it. I don't know what it is, but this isn't it. And right at that time, I had actually been pitching, uh, you know, about a half a dozen things all over the place. And two of those two different things kicked off. And one was a, 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 a series concept and the other was a, a show that Nerdist ended up buying that Ryan Lambert and I actually co-hosted called Short Ends. Uh, where we showcased short films and interviewed the filmmakers and, and did that, and they were they had just launched their digital channel, and we were one of the original programs there. Um, ended up being the totally wrong place for that show because no one watched it, and then that channel died. But I loved that concept, and so I was going. Those two things were happening, and so the doc went on sort of a side burner for a couple months, and I ended up having a um, you know I call it the you know a, a sliding doors or a very uh, you know bathed in serendipity um uh, or synchronicity type thing and i was meeting a friend of mine for lunch at her company which is uh, pilgrim studios and she was a post she's a, a post supervisor and she'd been there for years and i just pulled up in front of the building to go take her to lunch and we were going to go hang out and she mentioned, she's like, Hey, do you remember, uh, I mentioning that there's a bunch of guys on my floor that are Monster Squad fans? I was like, Yeah. And she goes, Well, that's one of them right there. And we looked and there was a, a kid unloading a, a production truck. And I said, Who's that? And he's like, Oh, his name's Anthony. And I said, So I put the car in park and I said, Let's go say hi. And she's like, Okay. And we went over and we yelled at the Anthony and he came over and we we're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Like, I'm a big fan. I'm like, well, that's cool. So what do you do here? He's like, oh, you know, I'm just a you know, production hand here and working on this. I'm unloading this truck. I was like, that's cool. Where are you from? Then we hung out. And for however long, 90 seconds that we were talking with Anthony uh, made the perfect timing that three other guys came out of the front of the building to go to their own lunch. And it was Henry McComas and Wes Caldwell and Aaron Kunkel. And they kind of, realized it was me on the street and they saw me with Jen and um, we started talking. And th- then we said, Oh, let's go to our own lunch like tomorrow or the next day or next week. And, and Henry was like, we, we need to talk about projects. And what are you working on? And a documentary, wait a minute. And he kind of um, you know, thought about it for a couple of days and we met for lunch and we ended up saying, I, you know, this is something I think we could do here. And we can, we could do a really good job on it. Uh, you know, much better than your shitty idea you know, that you mentioned. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, we kind of put this plan together and it was all because I ran into Henry and Wes and Aaron while we were talking to Anthony on that day. And we never, we, none of us knew each other. Uh, and it was obviously, honestly, the best thing that could have happened to all of us, especially me uh, you know, for the last couple of years, cause we got to work together and look, we put it together, developed it, pitched the execs. Um, I kind of crafted a deal where my company would come in and we, we would give this X amount and resources to the project and, you know, bring in people that we know and get all the things that I could bring to bear. And if, you know, Pilgrim would be the studio partner on that. And we kind of make this thing together. Um, and they saw the upside and they saw, it was kind of a win-win. And it got approved and greenlit and we went into production like two weeks later. And uh and what happened was yeah, it was we were right coming into the 30th anniversary year. And so we had all these big events to go to that we got to now document. And then even before that all got greenlit, uh I was working on um a, a tour with the Alamo because they had contacted me and said, Hey, we want to do a 30th anniversary tour. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. Uh, um, and then I was like, do you want anybody else? Cause I'm, mean, I think Ryan and Ashley might be interested too. And so we worked out that deal. So I worked out that deal with Alamo and got Ryan and Ashley. And that we went on a 17 city tour all in the middle of, you know, this production of this documentary. So that was just another giant thing that got plugged into this 10 months of production. And there, there was no other 10 months in the last 20 years or the next 20 that would have worked yeah. to get as much, of the best stuff for a documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards than we did in those 10 months. It all worked out as best as it could. And, you know, to answer your question, finally um, it was, uh, you know, kind of the culmination of all those stories, but then meeting those guys on the street that day, I think in January of January of 17. Yeah.
1: And it's a great doc. We both watched it. We loved it. Oh, Thanks you know, way more than just the making of, you know what I mean? You see a lot of making of kind of watered down, just kind of, let's just make this quick special feature type doc. But this doc has a lot of meat to it. Very definitive. You know what I mean? It's a lot slow, of heart. Thing. A lot yeah.
2: Of- and uh, one, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying it. And uh, two, I'm glad because that was the point, you know, when Henry and I and they got, you know, we'd sit around and say, what is this? How are we going to approach this? And, you know, why are we approaching this number one? Yeah. And then how can we approach this and what should we be doing? And more importantly, what should we not be doing? Yeah. And the, the not be doing part is, you know, kind of, the, you know, th- look, those were the first things on the checklist is not a making of not aware are they now and not a uh, just a spoonful of nostalgia, yeah. uh, you know, type of thing. And like, here it is, I'm going to cram it down your throat and then we'll get out. Um, we don't. I was not interested in that, and so you have a little of that. You know, you know, you've both seen it, and hopefully, you know, your 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 viewers have seen it. Um, uh, and if they haven't, you need to go see it. Um, <laughs> but the uh, you know, and then because it'll make sense what we're talking about. But um, you know, you have to put some of that you know kind of backstory in the make. You know, it's a little making of, but we did the making of. It was stories about the making of not just showing you the making of and not technical stuff. It was, and really the whole thing is, you know, when you watch the doc, anybody that's talking on camera sans a few people for a setup of a concept. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. If you're on camera in this documentary, you're t- you were impacted some way by this movie. And that was the really the whole thing of how did this movie impact or influence your life as an individual, whether you're a fan, a crew member, the director or a cast member. And that's what you, that's what, that was our focus. And it was really sort of trying to also turn the, you know, the focus because the focus is always on us. You know, yeah. it's either on me or Ryan or Ashley or Fred or Duncan, you know, whatever. And I wanted, I was like, but the only reason we're here is because these fans, like they are so connected to this movie that th- th- they will fight someone in the parking lot. About it, you know, not being stupid, I'm saying that's how loyal they are to it. if it came down to it, like if aliens invaded and said we were going to delete the monster squad from all of me they would fight the aliens the you aliens know outside. Would have to they die. Were, they <laughs> would they would fight the aliens would be wiped out. that's what these fans are and I, I I wanted to turn kind of the focus uh around on them um and obviously we couldn't show every fan because there's way too many, but I think what we put in there and and represented. Uh, every example of you know fans that are out there, whether they're famous people or not famous people, yeah. um, is uh, a good representation and, and, and kind of touches the base on 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 all of the fans out there. And I, and I hope they find themselves represented because a la the characters in the Monster Squad. That's why a lot of these kids, when they saw the movie, loved the movie because they related to one or more of the characters yeah. or the situation or the group aspect, the squad aspect of it, you know, in some form. What I wanted them to do, watching the documentary, as well as also relate to someone that was telling their story on camera, whether it was Ryan Lambert or you know Hatch Tar or you know um, you know Joe Magna or you know Sean Decker or Sean Robert. I wanted someone to relate that didn't get a chance to be on camera and tell their story, but to feel represented by the people that were telling their story.
1: Yeah. Representation is huge in the monster squad. You know what I mean? I, earlier I was going to say, when you were talking about how, you know, your character comes off as like the cool guy type deal, but like, you don't feel as cool. And that, that's like what people relate to. Cause you can also take, uh, uh, the breakfast club, which I think is a very, very, you know, important film and like the Molly Ringwald character, who's kind of like the wealthy pretty girl, but she doesn't like her life either. You know what I mean? It's everybody's all on the same page, and I think that that whole dynamic of it is why these things last forever. You know what I mean?
2: I agree, and I think you can watch you can watch Breakfast Club twenty years from now and understand sociology and and anthropology and growing up in America. And uh, I think it's very, I, I think Breakfast Club's a very important movie. Uh, so much so, uh, me and one of my best friends in college again, using movies in college, Uh, in my first college, uh, we had a sociology, you know, kind of uh, uh, assignment to do. And um, we showed The Breakfast Club and we broke down kind of the, you know, sociological kind of impact of the movie itself. And we broke it down what characters were. And it was kind of like a character study. And I don't think anybody in that class had watched The Breakfast Club from that lens, but that's why it works. And you're absolutely right. You picked a great example of that as another example, other than just monster squad. Yeah. Um, and in, cause it has those characters and it has the archetypes and it has the heart, like Melissa said, and, and the authenticity of the time, which never changes in, in, in the human experience. I don't think no matter what decade you're in, it's, it's the same. Uh, the clothing just looks different <laughs> and uh, you know, the technology may be better, yeah. um, but no, nothing really changes, you know, in, in, in that real human condition, uh, especially here. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you look at, you can look at movies made in the eighties that were set in other decades and it's the same thing. Right. You know, you, you can look at great movies like, uh, I mean, Stand By Me is a great kids adventure movie about the same stuff. Right. Uh, it's about growing up. It's about finding your place. It's about connecting with your friends, um, and how they impact your life at a certain kind of age. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can even you can even look at uh, you know campier or, or more fun movies like Grease. It's the same thing. It's set in a different time, shot in the seventies, but it's about the same thing. Yeah. It's about finding your place in the world at the time. it Was high school just like Breakfast Club? We were obviously younger, um, but yeah, th- those movies are important. Everybody thinks they're just kids' movies, and they're not.
1: Yeah, I always um, tell people. I said the Breakfast Club should be shown the first day of high school in every high
2: school. You know I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. Seriously, and. <laughs> and I'm going to add to that. It should be shown on the very first day of high school and the last day of high school. Yes. (laughs) And then, and then get, and then see.
0: And then Greece, because then you have to go to the big carnival after. (laughs) That's
2: right. And then, uh, (laughs) and I think uh, like, but that was cool. Like I didn't have a carnival after uh, graduating. We went to Disneyland. That was our thing. We had a grad night there, but I guess that's a carnival um but you know i think you're absolutely right even today you should show breakfast club on the first day and i'll add to it you should show it on the last day and see and see how people react to it differently because they're like oh damn this is spot on like it doesn't yeah. it's the same thing it doesn't matter it's just it's this it's the it, nothing changes yeah. <laughs> also, except for the clothes
1: that's true but they'll come back they'll be back in style again that's how it works
2: oh yeah no doubt no doubt <laughs>
1: I really appreciate how Wolfman got into the Brent the Brent situation because, a lot you know, a lot of people love Horace's character. And it was very questionable for a long time. Nobody really knew what, what happened. They just knew that he passed. Um, and a lot of people relate to him because he was like, you know, that everybody can kind of find a character and relate to. He used the bigger guy that got the hard times. So I think, you know, a lot of bigger guys related to. And like, I know bigger guys that when they found out he died, were like really bothered by, it, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things.
2: Yeah. It, that was a, um, that was something that, that w- I knew we would include, but it was definitely one of the things like, how, how do we get to include it? Yeah. Why, why are we including it? How are we going to approach it? What should we do? And there's an obvious answer there. It's like, oh, you just interview the family and get those stories. Here's the problem. None of his family is alive either. Hmm. His mom died shortly after we made the movie. His dad died a number of years ago, um, and that was it. Uh, and then, of course, he died in 97, which a lot of people knew, but a lot of people didn't know. And then some people don't even know that until they see the documentary, yeah. and it blows my mind. But even the ones that did know up until they see the documentary didn't know the circumstances or what the deal was and get their story. And I don't want to say we struggled with telling the story. It's just we put a lot of thought and effort into how to approach it. Yeah. And really the answer was, okay, we have these three individuals that were basically what's left of his family. They're not related, but they were, you know, uh, you know, best friends of the family and an old girlfriend and grew up, you know, a friend that he grew up with. They ended up dating and her mom. And then this other, you know, kind of mom figure that are all now grandmas. Cause they're awesome. And while we're shooting there, she's literally making a quiche in the oven. While oh. we were shooting her in her I'm not kidding. We, and, you know, awesome Jewish grandma, you know, baking for you like something in there. And, like, we had to stay and eat. Like, uh, like, like Spanish, Spanish. An we're staying and eating. Family. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just eat it. And, uh, cause you're gonna be fed food. And, you know, Eileen and Marsha and Rachel, that was fortunate to get in touch with them and get their story. And we stayed out of it. Like, I stayed. It's not my story, it's their story to tell about their person that was in their life. And that was all that was left to tell Brent's story. So that's who we let tell the tale. Yeah, And yeah, is it emotional? Does it seem like we're, you know, the other thing was trying not to be um, exploitative. And um, I, I hope, I think we did a fair job on it, I think yeah,
0: okay it was like a we job were talking it. prior to bringing you on and it was like i told him i was like yeah there was definitely moments where i tugged at the heartstrings because it like it doesn't and it, i mean it doesn't take much to make me cry but things like that like when you get heartfelt yeah i'm a big sucker i start to you know the, it's like a faucet try, trying to shut the tears off
2: Yeah. And look, you know, making a making a movie that has a lot of nostalgia and it's about us when we're kids and this connection to movie that people love, you know, there's some purposeful things that we knew we were going to plug in there to kind of get someone, you know, some are tickles and, you know, some are little kind of get you a little misty eyed Uh, the Brent thing, the Brent thing we knew when we, but we, you know, we wanted to approach it without being that obvious or exploitative, like we were saying, uh, or, or corny. Um, there's different ways to approach that. And, and, I, and I think we just made the decision of let's just let them tell the, tell the story. It's their story. It's, it's no one else's story to tell. It's theirs.
0: And, and letting them tell their story is better than omitting it altogether and then having to deal with the 10 million questions as to why you left it out.
2: Right. It and what's even the fans that knew he had passed away early didn't know how because the only thing anything read online is that he died of pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's technically
3: true,
2: but not the reason he got in that situation. Yeah, and I, I mean you've seen it. I'm not going to spoil it because it, you know it's an issue. It's one of those things that you know yeah. it, it times in the movie. But and and to also realize what the circumstances and and what it, what it just you can't have a more tragic thing yeah. happen. Um, you know, bad shit happens. You know, people people die and when they're not when they shouldn't um and and you can 't avoid it, but when it's something that might have been avoidable or shouldn 't have happened yeah. that 's when it really sucks yeah and you know, and then the only time we kind of comment on it is after we go through that Brent thing, and then me and Ryan and Ashley you know then we get to talk about our impact of that knowing, and it 's the fact that you know the 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 sucky obviously the sucky thing is that he 's not living anymore I mean this is just that 's just obviously not what we want. Uh, but what's really even worse than just that is that um, one, and I, I said, you know, it's that he, he doesn't get to revel in what's been going on the last 13, 15 years. Um, and the, and the fans don't get to see their favorite character because look, everybody loves Rudy. Some people like Sean. You're, you're in a very small group, <laughs> Melissa. Um, but everybody loves Horace. And because they, they, more people, like Matt said, you know. I was relatable to relate. him too
0: because I was, yeah. I, I mean, I'm still a big girl. But like back then, I was re- legit the fat girl because, you know, I had a Spanish mom. She thought it was cute to have little fat babies. <laughs> so, but, so his character. And they cook terrible. well. <laughs> yeah, <that's...
2: laughs> it's always great food. So if your mom wants to send me food, she can. I don't care. If, she was, I... if
0: she was still with us, she would. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's um, okay. You didn't know. You can't you can't I will, do it I will
2: make something for her I and, can and cook like, she like her. Absolutely. He uh,
0: taught us how to cook at a very young age, so she, you know, yeah, she made sure her kid, her kids could uh, fend for themselves when we were older. So. Yeah, but
2: you're right. I mean, even and you make a perfect example. It's not just the boys that related to Horace. like everybody loved Horace, and a lot of people related to Horace. Uh it, he embodied um more than just, you know, this, this thing on screen. And that's what I always, you know, it's, I don't get into it as much as someone like Henry does. And Henry's a, a great podcast guest. If you want someone who's super knowledgeable, likes to talk about stuff, you know, has great stories. Cool. Um, so hit him up anytime or I'll, I'll hook you oh, yeah. up with Henry. Um, but he, he tells a great story of why Horace is such a better character than Chunk in the Goonies yeah, yeah. and um, I never really had the, you know, kind of perspective on, on, on that, that Henry does, but, you know, he talks about it more as um, Chunk isn't even treated well by his own friend. He's the, he's the butt of the joke. He's the, the he's the, you know, perform monkey and make us all laugh, you know, type of thing. And Horace is just our friend. Yeah. He's just part of the group. And yet we call him fat kid but we're the only ones that can call him fat kid and and, and so because he's he's ours like in and yeah. and we're his. Yeah. Um and what's interesting about the Rudy character is Rudy's the only character in the movie doesn't does does not call Horace fat kid. He never calls him fat kid once. He always calls him Horace. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, you know, kind of uh uh dynamic there. But we don't call him fat kid and make him dance around and laugh at him. Yep. Right. When we call him fat kid, that's just his name. Like just hey, say, "Stay fat kid." Um,
0: It's like the uh, the Fat Amy of the Pitch Perfect movies now, it, w-
2: which is very similar. Because because <laughs> what he did is he owned it, like he owned it, like that's me. I okay, I own it. There's only a couple assholes that come up and give me problem. My best friends will defend me, yeah. uh, and then I've got this badass coming in and defend me. So my life is awesome. So, but like it's different. I mean, it's a you could almost do a character study between Horace and Chunk. Uh, and their friends. And uh, it's a it's a it's an inter Henry has a whole thing on it. It's total oh, opposite end
0: of the spectrum.
2: Yeah. And I think it's very interesting whether that was intentional when Fred and Shane were writing it or just something that ended up you know becoming in and of itself uh organically. But uh I I like that about it. And I think that's one of the things where the you know Melissa mentioned the heart of the characters in the story, the authenticity in which it was applied um, comes from the setup and the story and the words that were put on the page by Shane Black and Fred Decker. And the reason it's different and it connected with kids, I think, and it's up for discussion. Like These are great, these are great conversations. Uh, my opinion of it is, is because Fred and Shane weren't that far removed from being a teenager when they were writing this movie. They were in college. Yeah. And that's not that far away. Now you look at something like Goonies or... Um, you know, even the script to stand by me is interesting, but it takes place in the 50s. So there's a, there's almost a pass there, but you see a lot of time, especially on TV and especially in the nineties, when you had movies and, and, and kids were eight, nine, 10, 13, 14, 15, 16, especially if trying to be funny or do comedy stuff. You're usually getting a 40 year old white dude that is writing a screenplay and going, Huh, what are the kids, what are the kids these days, you know, making jokes about it? And how are they doing it? Let's, 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 that's back when I was a kid, we said, you know, dag nabbit. And it was funny as hell, you know, let's put that in there. (laughs) And so you always sort of have this little disconnect that kids are getting written down to. And I don't think any of the kids are written down to in the monster squad. And I think that comes from the fact that Fred and Shane weren't that far removed from being teenagers themselves.
0: Which is why it was so relatable to everybody that sees it and why it's still after 30 years is still holding
2: up. Yeah. And it's because it's got the heart and authenticity of what it's like, you know, to, to be a kid at some point or in this, you know, we're like Monster Squad is totally unbelievable. You know, I mean, it's this group of kids that, you know, like, okay, maybe there's a bunch of, you know, dorks that like movies that drew a treehouse. I was one of them. Like we all did that, but then monsters come and they got to do it. And they're the only ones that can save the day. And they save the world from, you know, the forces of evil. Those are just two stories that get, you know, matched up together.
0: Yeah. You can't um, be chicken shits.
2: That's, you can't <laughs> be chicken shits. And that's, so <laughs> you make another great point there of why kids loved this movie is it's the standing up. It's coming together. It's, it's something dark. There's a little danger to it, but it's the stepping up and becoming the hero that you hope you would be if you ever had the opportunity, and we all aspire to that as kids. You know that's why we watch adventure films. That's why we watch you know you know knights and 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 King Arthur stories, and why we watch hopefully war movies until you get into real war movies and what war and combat's about. That they didn't make those movies because World War II and Korea they were all propaganda movies and and bond raising, so they had to be rah rah even though it was bad. But then you get Vietnam and you realize really what war is about and how suck it is. And you don't. It's not a good thing. So You're not celebrating it as much. Um, but that's what the impact of movies can be. I mean, they're it, they're about humans. It's the only thing you can write about, and it's uh, it's it's very impactful. And I think kids' movies like that 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 do it right are the are the important ones.
1: And they're the most influential on the youth. It's
2: true. <laughs> No, no doubt. Um, and I don't know if we're I mean, we just have so much content out there over the last 20 years or so, or if it's going in a different direction, or I, I think we're getting less and less of those just because it's a statistical thing, because we have so much content. So um, there's not as much that that make that impact in there. But, you know, I, you know, even I I I, I love the Harry Potter universe i love i love the characters i love the fantasy of it i love the the adventure the ma- i love the magic of it yeah. um that's a pun <laughs> um but i i love that world uh and i love the movies um the, the i mean i like the movies more than the books because the books are geared for kids and i get it and they're so much deeper i mean it's Books are always better the than books, the movies, but the these books movies are,
0: are darker than the yes. movies were. <laughs> yes.
2: And, um, but the movies are fantastic in other world. And I think they're more important than you realize. I think the Harry Potter world and the series of these kids growing up, and it's not just the three main kids. What's genius about the Harry Potter stories is it's the other kids that are just as important that we don't focus on because they're not Harry or Hermione. Or Ron or even Ron's brothers. But it's Ron's brothers. Yep. And it's Luna. And it's you know, even Cedric and and I
0: actually um, think Luna is one of my favorites.
2: <laughs> Neville I mean she she is. And Neville Longbottom. Longbottom. I Longbottom. mean, they are my favorite yep. characters because Neville Longbottom becomes the hero. Like I mean, he's the he's the only per Neville. At sniveling least, like little sniveling little <laughs> chunky Neville when he's a kid is one that grows up. He's the, the entire castle standing behind him and he's the one that walks up in front of Voldemort and, and tells him to, you know, take a hike and stands up for everybody. He becomes a hero in that moment and then he physically becomes a hero when he takes action, but the, all these characters are important and I, I don't, and hopefully kids that read the books get that and hopefully kids that watch the movies get that. But here's the thing with Harry Potter. That was a long time ago. I mean, I think kids are watching Harry Potter. They're young now, but they're seeing new or something. Like, where's our Harry Potter for this gen? Like, where's please show Harry Potter or show Stand by Me or show Monster Squad to the kids today? Like, where is like where are these stories? Um, Lord of the Rings isn't much different because I think you know the Hobbits are kids. They may be older, but I think they're kids. It's a kids' adventure story too, and all the other characters. But that's weirder and darker. That's really kind of. It, it takes a lot to grasp that. I don't think young kids, you know, really get Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, but Harry po- I mean, I think Harry Potter should be shown, you know, just as an example. Because yeah. it's a good versus evil story and you yeah. have to persevere. You have to. It's going to be bloody. It's going to suck. You're going to lose. You're going to lose people. Um, and you know what that is? It's life. Life.
0: That's the thing. <laughs>
2: Did we just go off on a weird tangent, or is that, yeah. does that work for like? We, no, it works with it. I don't everything. know where you guys like really kind of keep it in the in the rails <laughs> we, on your podcast. Like no,
0: we don't keep it in the rails. We constantly oh, go on wow. the crazy train, and then we all, it, but it all comes back full circle.
2: <laughs> and 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 it's fun how that works out sometimes, and it usually does. I like that. Um, I um, but I think I, I, that's what's important. I think that's what movies are important. I think that's. Um, you know, I'm not, I am, but I'm not, I am shamelessly playing, plugging the doc, but we try to show a little bit. It's, it's not just about the monster squad. Wolfman has gotten ours. The documentary is not just about monster squad. It can be about anything that impacts your life, whether it's another movie or another book or a, or a song uh, or a piece of, you know, a, a painting or something that, you know, has impacted you that you latch onto that's sort of like uh your, your, your guidepost or maybe your anchor or your Northern star. Um, and it's just about how something like cinema can impact someone. And it doesn't matter what the movie is, you know, insert your movie here. This just happens to be the monster squad story in that, in that element. Um, and I th- I just, and we wanted to show, that was one of the bullet points that Henry and I and Wes and all them came up with that. That's an important thing that we want to try to convey as well. Um, that these stories that people create and make books and movies and TV shows out of they're important. Um, and they can be really important and and you should watch them and you shouldn't just watch them for the sake of watching. You should watch them and understand them and learn, learn from them and learn about them. And that will lead to so many other things. And you, you'll have a little foundation to kind of operate in the world with. And hopefully it's a positive foundation. Yeah. That was my PBS moment. I like that.
0: <laughs> That was a great I'm,
2: club. A hu- I'm a huge PBS fan, too. So Nothing
0: know. wrong with that.
2: <laughs> Love PBS.
1: Yeah. Grew up on PBS.
2: Yeah, I mean, who didn't? And well, I mean, boy, talking about Fourth Circle, it's like, I think PBS is more important now than it's ever been. Do kids watch PBS now? It's the free broadcast channel. Like, but now they have an app for whatever they want to watch. Yeah. And I'm like, but PBS is anybody kids. watching PBS? <laughs> Please be watching PBS. Like, I hope people are having their kids watch PBS and I hope kids are purposely turning into PBS uh, on their own, which, I mean, I did, you know, cause I love yeah. that. I love, I, I always liked learning. A lot of, a lot of kids don't like learning. I liked learning. I liked, you know, even if it was something that I know about, I, I learned, like, it learned again. Yeah, my
0: my nephew is a little too smart for his own good already. Uh, not that that's a bad <laughs> thing but yeah it's like sesame street even though it's not on pbs anymore it, it's like a big part of his thing he not there no more this, where no, is it it's on H- um they've been showing um sesame street on hbo
1: on hbo
0: yeah they've been showing um new episodes on well, HBO. they got like
1: curse words that are and everything, sexy no
0: one of the <laughs> one of the characters has autism um there's a a gay puppet. Now um, it's 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 just it's been modernized. My
2: but that's Rogers exactly saw. what Sesame it's Street went with the should times. do and yep. what it should be. And it's um, because it's showing you what's out there in the world and how to approach it and understand it a little bit. And um, yeah, so it's Sesame like, Street's great. It, and, yeah, and, or
0: all the characters you know, that we grew up with now are on there as grandparents. And yeah. <laughs> you, do- you docu- know, so. documentaries
2: on PBS are great, even great. if they're a little more. Above the kid, gra- I love Frontline. That's a great PBS show. Um, and then you have Bob Ross. I mean,
0: oh my! You can't best. ever go wrong with Bob Ross. Bob Ross, <laughs> never. Hero in life. Yeah,
2: you can't. Uh, it's it's. <laughs> It's if not... I only
0: realized, if I only knew then what I know now.
2: <laughs> oh, man. And and you get some little pearls of wisdom from Bob, too. But it's not about that. But 30 minutes of Bob Ross is about unplugging. Those
0: happy little trees. And it's just about <laughs> meditating.
2: And um, it's it's fascinating. And my favorite thing about Bob Ross's show is they're smart enough to have a microphone. It's either his lav mic that picks it up or the overhead mic that catches the brush on the canvas. That's my favorite thing. It's just, I just put, sound is just, very
0: relaxing. Yeah.
2: Or scraping of the knife or whatever. And that's like, it's, it's yeah, more I, sound on Bob Ross than the actual painting.
0: Usually putting Bob Ross on and qu- required. Um, well, probably ended with nap time just from oh,
2: the brush strokes. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. infuriates
1: um, like, you with people that are like that talented makes you like furious. I heard he does like three of those paintings, and like each episode, he does three paintings. Like each camera setup is a different painting.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think like whatever he is, like, he does it first and it's done. And then he shows, like, he walks through it again and just recreates it. And you're like, whatever, dude. And it really is kind of simple, but it takes a skill. But my favorite thing about Bob Ross, he's not performing to get accolades or you go, oh my God, that's amazing. He's teaching you how to do this painting. Yeah. He's like, this is what you need to do here. Just get it off. It's oh, and if you make a mistake, that's okay. You can cover it. Just do this. And this is how, this is how all these this, paint,
0: this is how all these paint and wine nights started. Now, <laughs> they, it all stemmed from Bob Ross.
1: guys <laughs> never made a Bob Ross movie. There will be one eventually. When I think of Bob Ross, I think of Bob Ross in like a like a high school art class after hours with the guy from like the audio visual department shooting him. And they just probably smoke joints all night doing paintings. And it's like, I would watch a movie about that. Yeah.
2: And in the other room, it's the breakfast club. <laughs> so <it's Yep>. the <laughs> everybody's <laughs> on detention. It's uh, Hell yeah. It, it, it's interesting. And uh, that's, what's interesting about breakfast club is because you have all those characters. You could have made a high school movie, which Hughes yeah. did obviously, but this is, they're all in detention.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, what's going to, you know, it's, it's fascinating, but, um, that might've been a full circle. We brought breakfast club into Bob, I don't know, Bob, Rock. Yep.
3: <laughs> um,
2: I don't know any, any other, uh, you know, pertinent life-changing questions or topics or no, fire away.
1: that might, that might be, a no, I, yeah, I, I'm
0: I, I think I went through it like everything without even trying. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, good. That's that's always, been since you had a good uh, interview uh, interaction. Then instead of going, oh, I, I didn't, shit, I forgot to. Because sometimes I talk too much and I go off on a tangent and they go, I didn't get to ask him this. So no, I always try like to a, make.
0: But that's the beautiful thing about it, though, because you like, it just, you meshed well with us because that's how we are. We go off on a tangent and, and, and it's the end of the story. Like, it doesn't good. take much for us to go three hours on with a conversation true.
2: So,
1: right. Right. <laughs> that
0: is true. we've had four hour nights maybe more and longer with-
2: oh yeah no i i, I so, have too. i can imagine but i always yeah. like I've, I've i've tried to learn to make sure that i was like is there anything else that we left you know out or you know, written down or you know a viewer wrote in or something like that that you definitely had to had to cover if not then that's good i had a i had a blast um
0: we, we're hit on, me up
2: anytime and
0: absolutely yeah we'll have
1: you
2: back on yeah. How
0: can how Absolutely. can people follow you? Can they follow you on social media? If you want to throw out shout out some uh, spots where people can... they can.
2: I just had a new Friendster account start it, No, I'm just kidding.
0: Um, <laughs> everybody's like, what's Friendster? <laughs>
2: um, uh, yes, uh, I'm I'm active on Instagram and Twitter, and on Twitter, I am at Andre Gower. On Instagram, it's at Andre Gower official, because apparently there's some other unofficial Andre Gower in the IG world. I don't know. Um, but then, you know, it's also please follow uh, Wolfman's Got Narge, the documentary um, on all you know, like on the website where you can find, you know, you know, press coverage and screenings and, you know, where to find it uh, at. Um, the squad dot com and then the squad doc has uh, social handles as well on twitter and instagram uh, it 's at the squad doc
1: and definitely check that doc
0: out yeah sure. definitely it was it was definitely worth a watch um I really thank you for being like a big part of my childhood and sure. you know being a part of a movie that I can show my nephew and not having any qualms later about having shown it to him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, look, I
2: I, I appreciate that. It's uh, I'm just, you know, really it's it, it's great to be associated and involved in, you know, sort of, you know, the you know the the face of or the mouthpiece, you know, over the, you know, last couple of years that people get to interact with, but uh, you know, it's just really I got, you know, I got lucky like I said, they in you know someone in that room said, uh, what if Andre that Andre Gower kid worked for Sean Crenshaw. Um, And so, you know, you look back at that and that was another sliding door situation, you know, very, you know, some synchronicity had to happen that day too. Otherwise I wouldn't be here, you know, talking with you guys and uh, you know, we wouldn't have had this um, you know, I wouldn't have been involved with it. So it's really um, I love when people say, I, you know, thank you for being part of my childhood. I'm like, I, I thank the people that allowed me to do it. And I'm glad this just became this, you know, kind of, Fascinating dynamic that evolved over the years. So, not very many people get to um, get to be a part of something like that. So, you got to understand that a little bit and appreciate it just a bit.
1: Sure, I'm glad you do. Some people don't. It's weird when people don't appreciate it. But you're a good man. You appreciate.
2: Yeah, I, tr- I try to. I, you know, if 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 I don't put it in play, at least I give it some uh, some thought every now. And then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, hit me up anytime. Um, everybody that's listening, you know, support, uh, you know, Matt and Melissa in their podcasts and all the other people uh, on their network. And, um, you know, follow me, chat with me, you know, hit, hit us up. Uh, you know, I try to be very active uh, and responsive on social media if I can, even if it's just a heart or a thumbs up or something. So. Yeah.
1: Cool. Andre, I thank you again. We'll have you on again. Uh, if you ever have a project, we'll, gonna, we'll keep in a loop. If you ever got yeah. anything on you want to pro- promote, we'll be promoting while you're not here and then we'll love to have you on again. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Uh,
2: you know, let me know, hit me up. Uh Um,